1: of the Long and Winding Royal Road. My name is W.H. Park, and, uh, of course, I am the uh, co-host of the post Perez uh, podcast over at postwrestling.com, and uh, this is my monthly show looking back at the greatness that is the 1990s era of All Japan Pro Wrestling, and this is episode eight, and I don't know if people remember that I said every fourth episode we will be doing a profile piece on a member of the All Japan Uh, roster from that era, and of course, episode four, I did a profile piece on Mitsuhara Misawa with Hisami, and it was very, very well-received, so I thought, okay, well, I have to do number eight, the second profile piece has to be on the man who was Misawa's greatest rival during that time period, the man known as Dangerous K, uh, Toshiaki Kawada, and so today we're going to talk about Toshiaki Kawada, and joining me today to talk about Kawada is an avowed Toshiaki Kawada fan like myself, and I I think he's probably one of the the biggest pundits and supporters of Kawada in the podcasting world, and that's from the Eastern Lariat, Dylan Fox. Dylan, how are
0: you, sir? It's so good to be here with you, WH. It's a beautiful Sunday as we record. Uh, I feel like there are blessings abound uh, for this day, and we've got some great things to talk about. I was so big of a fan of you and Hisame show on Misawa, Uh, There were so many cool things in there that she had. Obviously, she's like the number one Noah expert, and she was so in tune with Misawa's whole life story. Even the Outer Ring stuff was very interesting. So, hopefully, I can follow that up really well with with Dangerous K. Of everyone, I think it's important to note, and uh, I'm kind of (laughs) not to jump ahead on everyone, but with all four of the four heavenly kings, the four pillars in all Japan. One of my favorite things about them watching is each one of them had their own identity, you know, like right away. Never mind the colors, everybody goes to the colors. But if you look at their story, they're all different. And, uh, you know, the one when you talked about Misawa with Hisame was so beautiful, a lot of the things that she had to say about him. And, you know, he had a much different path a much different story although very interconnected with kawada out of any of the two of the four pillars kawada and misawa were definitely the two that were most uh they resonated with each other the most you know with kawada it's like you're already if you say Kawada, you're thinking of Misawa as well, and vice versa in a lot of ways. So I was really happy to be invited on to do this show specifically. Um, you know, I'll talk about their characters a little bit more going on, but I, out of everyone's character and their storyline, not necessarily storyline, but even in real life, but their arc in the companies, I think Kawada is the one that rep- represents or resonates with me the most. So I was very happy that you invited me on for this one.
1: Yeah, I wasn't, I was like thinking, well, who could I have this? who I have on with me to talk about Kawada. And you're the, the first person that really came to mind because I know you always are, you know, bigging up Kawada on the Eastern Laird or on, on Twitter. So it's like, oh, Dylan's a natural. So let we're going to talk lovingly about Dangerous K here. And, you know, the thing with Kawada is like, I love all four members of the, of the four pillars, like Masawa, Kawada, Tawe, Kobashi. And, you know, like if you want to say the ancillary people, Surrounding them, which would be like Jumbo, Saruda, and Stan Hansen, and Yoshi Kikuchi, and Doctor Dusty Williams, Terry Gordy—they're all part of that that scene as well, obviously. But like for me, like I will always say, like Ken is probably my favorite pro wrestler of all time. Um, but Toshiaki Kawada is my favorite four pillar, and I say that because like I think he's the one of those four that stands out the most to me in terms of like um, his stories, because it, especially in relation to Misawa, because you, like you're saying, Dylan, like you talk about masawa you, you have, you think about Kawada, like there's no Misawa without Kawada, right? Like you can say there's no Misawa if it wasn't for the, the groundwork, the foundation laid by Jumbo Saruta. But after Jumbo retires, like he doesn't have the career that he does without his rivalry and his partnership with with uh, Kawada, both like on screen and, and off screen. And, like, yeah, of course, he would still have the great matches he had with, like, Kobashi and Stan Hansen and and Dr. Dusty Williams and all those other people. But, like, he's not going to reach the same levels as as he does with, like, Kawada because of that history that they have, like, professionally and that history that they have um, behind the scenes as well. Like, they start off as friends and then you know, they become rivals, like, legit rivals, you know, vying for the top position in the company. And this bleeds into... Uh, their matches, as we'll talk about. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here, but uh, we're going there, There's a lot of things to unpack with Kwada, and a lot of it has to do with you know with Mitsuharu Misawa. So it's it's going you're gonna hear his name a lot in in uh, in this show.
0: Absolutely, and you know Misawa's chosen role, or I mean, I guess chosen not by him, by everyone would probably choose this role if they could. But his role in All Japan was as the ace of the company. The main guy, the the one who's the champion for the longest, but he couldn't have been there. You can't have that guy without the guys around him, and especially the main rival, pretty much, in Kawada. So he was very important to the role of the ace, even though he wasn't, obviously, he didn't have the prolific title reigns that Misawa had in the 90s. But still, he was very important to that whole role, and he formed some great Partnerships and great rivalries of his own, and he has he has a great story all his own. But yes, him and Misawa very very interconnected from the very beginning as well. So it's like that's a very interesting little companion piece here. But I will say that if anybody hasn't listened to it, definitely listen to that show episode four and listen to all of them. I've i liked every show you've done. Not to put you over too much, WH here, but uh, a lot of the stuff you've been doing with, with guys like Joey Bay, Davey Portman. Uh, Joseph Montesio, even the original episode. It's like you've got guys on here that had a lot of fun doing the show with you and had some very informative pieces on matches themselves. And this is a, a much grander scale than just a single match, obviously, which is why I compare it to the Misawa episode more. But all of your episodes have been very good, and I'm really, really looking forward to this one and getting into his entire career.
1: Well, well, let's get into Toshiaki Kawada's life first. He, he was born December 8th, 1953 in Tochiki, um, as a child, he did, uh, uh, he, he not as a child, but, but more like a teenager, he did amateur wrestling when he was in high school and he actually became a national champion, Dylan. And in his senior year, he defeated one Kichi Yamada in the finals to get this national championship. Kichi Yamada, for those of you who might not know, later became a pro wrestler himself. I, you might've heard of him. His name is Jushin Thunder Liger.
0: How crazy is that? That two guys who were national championship level amateur wrestlers ended up becoming legends in the pro style. Uh, he had a little bit of other sports background, playing some baseball. Uh, he was in sumo club in middle school as well. Um, the funny, a funny tidbit I saw about him said about him is that he was actually the same height as he was in high school as he was in all Japan. Like, he had a very early growth spurt. So he had a great size advantage and obviously used that to great, to great skill being the champion, beating Jushin Th- the future Jushin Thunder Liger in a match there. And it was just so crazy that you have all of these. You had other guys around that time, too. Uh, obviously, the aforementioned Misawa, that's very well known. Uh, There's this guy, uh, Super Rider, that was also in his team. Uh, he was in Social Progressive Wrestling Federation. Uh, I know you remember that WH back from the Super J Cup '95, that le- legendary company. Oh,
1: I, I, if I was starting a wrestling company, then I would definitely call my wrestling company, you know, uh, Super Progressive. <laughs> <wrestling>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, but see, all of those influences all together at one, like the two of the four pillars: Jushin Liger and a common writer, cosplayer <laughs> gimmick from Social Progressive Wrestling Federation, all in the same atmosphere.
1: It, there's something in the water. Obviously, there's, there's something happening in, in the water in Japan at that time to produce all this greatness. Um, so one thing you have to mention with Kawada in his high school days is that he attended a place called Ashikaga University High School. And it's important because this is where he mates Mitsuharu Misawa, because Mitsuharu also went to this high school. And, and Misawa was a year ahead of Kawada. Uh, so he was a senpai as they say in, Jap- in Japanese, uh, which I, I feel, you know, Dylan, like Misawa being a year ahead of Kawada in high school is kind of a perfect metaphor for like their professional relationship years down the line.
0: It really is, isn't it? You know, it's cause it's kind of like, especially in Japan, the senpai relationship is so stringent. Uh, it's so strongly ingrained with people. So it's always kind of like, even just that one year difference, right from the beginning, it felt like Kawada was kind of secondary to Misawa. Even then, but still, if you look at the, you know their career, they obviously rose up uh, later on to be more similar. But it, even at Kawada's peak, even at like really at his entire peak of his career, it always felt like he was kind of in that shadow of Misawa.
1: So one thing that's really interesting at this time is that you know Kawada actually tests you know and goes to try out for. The New Japan Pro Wrestling Dojo, and he gets accepted. He passes the, the dojo exam, and but in he wanted to join that dojo and he wanted to become part of New Japan Pro Wrestling. But his mother said, It'd be better if you finish high school first, do that first, and then go. So he, I, he was able to defer uh, his enrollment in the New Japan Dojo. But in that year time that you know he was going to finish high school, Misawa came to him and convinced him to join the all japan dojo and one of the i think one of the selling points misawa you know gave to kawada you know even though he's accepted into like you know one of the biggest companies in japan at the time like it's it's new japan and it's all japan really right is that misawa was really selling the idea like listen this this all japan dojo it's like a family like they i feel like the, this is the first place i've ever belonged Be, i think mainly because you know misawa had a terrible terrible relationship with his father um, and so he found all these father figures in all Japan. And then he wanted to, like, kind of, you know, share that feeling with this guy, Kawada, who's like his, his, one of his best friends in high school. So it must have been a hell of a pitch because, like, Kawada would have to, like, try out all over again to get into the all Japan dojo. And of course, you know, because, you know, we all know the story here that he does, he passes that. And, he got into the all japan dojo and the rest is history but it'd be kind of interesting because like who if he went into the new japan dojo dylan who would his classmates have been would have been like liger and like budo and chono and hashimoto
0: that's interesting uh what year was this uh, around that he he traveled do you know the specific year he trained at the dojo or or he he passed the test uh, for i i
1: i don't know i think it's probably like you know, 79, between 79 and 81 is like, would be his tenure, like joining the dojo and and, and, um, passing the test and things like that.
0: Yeah, yeah. See, it depends on what year he would be in, but he would be around there. He might be a little younger than some of those guys, or a little older rather than some of those guys. He might debut a little bit sooner. He might be, you know, he would have been a young guy around the time. If he had went to New Japan instead, he would have been like a young lion around the time of the, uh, you know, guys like Akira Maeda were, were there and stuff. Uh, I think he might have been in, like, 84, 85, you know, before the UWF s- split the original feud between UWF and New Japan back in the 80s. He might have been involved in that. He probably would have been <laughs> fitted really well with that, actually, uh, if that had happened. The crazy thing is. But it's interesting when you talk about the family atmosphere because that was something that – that honestly was one of the most uh, eye-opening parts of your show with Hisame is when you all talked about – Misawa's upbringing because that really resonated with me because you know when I was younger I had a lot of those same feelings that that she was talking about with Misawa uh, you know a crazy upbringing like you know a messed up home and all of that stuff and wanting to be a wrestler to to be able to stand up for yourself later on it's like I totally resonated with that that's very similar to me and I never even thought about that. Until it was discussed in depth, Kawada's story was not. Uh, his family was much less dysfunctional. Obviously, you just mentioned it. Like his mom had a good head on her shoulders to try and, uh, you know, steer him away from not away from wrestling, but uh, to at least graduate and do good things. Then, even though I'm sure he would have loved to have had a run there, and it changed his whole life for the better. Because as you said, Misawa helped recruit him there. But uh him in New Japan would have been very interesting because he came at a time that would have been perfect for him stylistically, and obviously he would have ended up facing Hashimoto and such later on. Uh, but I think he was a little bit older than the three Musketeers generation. But he he would he would have been around then at least at the very least. So that would have been really good uh if they could have done that. Uh like you said, Kawada, a year younger than Misawa. And I think that helped him. Misawa's he guidance in that time helped him uh in a great way. And I'm sure that he, he doesn't regret it. Let's just say that. I'm sure that he's very happy with how it worked out.
1: Yeah, I I can't think like that he would have found success in New Japan as well. But like you know, like we said at the top of the show, like a lot of his Career and a lot of like the success he has is tied in with his relationship with Masao, both like as partners and later as, as rivals in the ring. Um moving back to uh Kawada by himself though, like so he debuts on October 4th, 1982, and he loses his first match to his future tag team partner, one Hiromichi Fuyuki, who would later uh change his name to Samson Fuyuki, and they would form a tag team called Footloose and uh we'll we'll get to Footloose a little bit later on in the show. But I, I, I think it's really cool that you know he has this relationship right off professionally with Fuki.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And Fuki would become a big player behind the scenes like much later on in FMW even and even back then, like you said, this was the early days for him, and it's just a cool little thing. There to have that future partner and somebody that would be able to, if not in the ring, but also backstage be able to help him. And like you said, we'll get to the tag team a little bit later on. But, you know, uh, Kawada coming into the All Japan world, he was uh, somebody that was uh, just like kind of Kobashi, much like a lot of Japanese wrestlers at the time, and especially in All Japan and that is to say, he lost a lot <laughs> very, very early on. I know this is not surprising to anyone, but if you look at his record, he had a ton of matches. Like Kobashi is much more known for this as losing, you know, a million matches in a row, and finally overcoming it. But Kawada lost a ton of matches to start off, like over two hundred. Uh, you know, it's listed as so. That just goes goes to show you to be in all Japan in the eighties. I mean, you had to have a lot of determination to uh, put a you know and a good humbling experience to put everyone over at the time.
1: Well, his his first recorded win is on April twenty seventh, nineteen eighty three, and but this is in a ten man battle royal, which you know, like looking at his match listings on Cage Match, these are something actually he he ends up having a lot of success in because he wins a lot of these ten men. Uh, Battle royals in, during his first year as a professional wrestler, and he doesn't get his first singles win, his proper you know first singles win until January fourteenth, nineteen eighty four against one Tarzan Goto. And here's another person who would later become quite a name for you know quite a name in in FMW later on.
0: Uh, lots of FMW <laughs> references right now, but th- these those are the guys they had around you know in, in all Japan. It's funny because a lot of the FMW guys were just uh, I don't want to say failed, but pretty much guys who are in all Japan and they got, they got rid of them uh, for whatever reason. And yeah, Kawada beating uh, Tarzan Goto. That's a very interesting tidbit considering uh, where Goto would go on to become in the FMW world. But yes, uh, like you said, that's a two or three year period of him doing nothing but losing to build himself up. And obviously that would set the stage for his excursion. And it's crazy that you see something like that. And at the time, him and Misawa's careers were already starting to kind of intersect when you look at uh, their paths and how they would sh- go in different ways, different routes.
1: Well, I mean, he's, one thing we, we should note is that, you know, like, he starts, to get, he starts getting wins. He starts trading victories, like, back and forth with Samson Fuyuki in '84. In this is also the time where he sporadically starts teaming with Tiger Mask. Uh, the, the Sahara Misawa version of Tiger Mask is ha- is happening in 84 as well. But it's in 85 that, you know, that's the next phase of his career. He goes on excursion to North America with uh, with Fuyuki as his tag team partner. And at first they show up in uh, in Texas in Southwest Championship Wrestling, which is the promotion run by uh, Joe Blanchard. And uh, him and, him and uh, Fuyuki... Formed a tag team Dylan you you won't believe the incredibly imaginative creative tag team name that they were given. They were called Japanese force
0: amazing right what a, what a great inventive team name, and even better is the team that they were feuding with at the time as well and I mean what this was a historical rivalry at the time. I think we can agree. I mean, who better to face the Japanese force than the American force
1: yes, the and- American force of Paul Diamond. And Shawn Michaels,
0: what, what, what a combo
1: that is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, uh, and think about this. This is something that Kawada can always say he had over Misawa, that he has a pinfall victory over Shawn Michaels in, in a tag match, and Misawa never did that. So with that in his arsenal, that could have been the one that, that made him a legend.
1: Like you know, forget forget you know the Midnight Rockers versus uh, Doug Summers and uh, Buddy Rose. This this I got I, you know this was probably the, the the series of matches that made Shawn Michaels a great wrestler, right? Feeding with sensei yes. Fuyuki and then Toshiaki Kawada, Japanese Force.
0: Yes, the legendary team of Japanese Force. Uh, I think everyone knows them and rem- remembers their amazing run at the time. And you know, in all seriousness, though. Uh, this was the start of a kind of crazy time period because this is something interesting too about Kawada that if you notice it's like okay Misawa did have his little excursion to Mexico but remember that he got called back to be Tiger Mask so his excursion wasn't as traditional as some of the other ones and Tawei and Kobashi didn't have an excursion really uh, you know because they were at the time not to jump ahead but they they were at a time where that really wasn't possible. So Kawada was the only one of the four pillars that had a true excursion to a foreign land and, and two in America and Canada. So I think that's very interesting that he he had the biggest grind out of all of them because they didn't have to go through this <laughs> bullcrap that he went through in Japanese force and everything like that. And especially in the 80s, you got to remember, the wrestling scene in the 80s was so... Like, especially towards uh, Asians at the time, it's pretty much everyone with some sort of stereotype of any ethnicity, really. Uh, you know, if you were from the South, you were a cowboy. If you were an Asian, you were a karate master or some bullcrap like that. Uh, you know, it's like that's how they kind of worked in the 80s in, in America, and North America. So he, he was here playing this kind of goofy Japanese force character with, with his, his tag team partner, and it was a really tough time. Or Kawada in America you know a lot of these guys were probably not too uh friendly in his book he wrote he has he, Kawada has this autobiography and uh, and some of it's been a little bit has been translated of it and basically he doesn't speak too glowingly about his time here and uh, they were uh, not too kind to the japanese talent at that time
1: no i can't imagine that they were i mean it's the 80s like jiganism in wrestling is like at its all-time high, I think. So, um, But, you know, like Kawada, you know, finishes up in Texas, and then in 86, he would travel to Canada. Uh, he would specifically go to Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and and work for Stu Hart in Stampede Wrestling. And then it's in Stampede that he d- gets this gimmick, uh, a pink mask, as you were saying to me, Dylan, you were watching a, a, a match with, with Kawada under a pink mask as as the legendary Black Mephisto.
0: Yeah, yeah, so a wonderful gimmick at the time. And when I heard this name, I mean, when you hear that name, you expect, like, I I was kind of expecting, like, a gothic, you know, all-black guy, you know, pretty much, like, black mask, black tights, maybe he came out with a cape or something like that. That sounds like a horror movie villain of, like, the 1930s to me. Like, you know, he was, like, Dracula's rival or something when I hear that. But then you watch him come out, and it's like, he has this pink mask on. He comes out in red pants with a white stripe. Not that dissimilar to the stuff he wore later on, especially like his hustle pants, like when he had the full pants with the black and yellow. This is what he had with the like, the, but it was red and white, and he had a pink mask on. And uh, there are a few matches online. They're they're pretty rare, but you can find them if you look them up. I was watching him versus get this guy Robbie Stewart, uh, a Scottish wrestler that they had in Calgary at the time. And it, watching him was so interesting and. This is this whole time period was really miserable for him, uh, actually, in Canada because he was working on and off. Uh, but if you watch him wrestle, and this is kind of noted in Tom Zenk's book. He wrote a whole, uh, not a chapter, but a, a long uh, little tirade about Kawada. And basically he was talking about him. It's like he could do stuff that you would never expect him. He was walking the ropes. Even in the matches, I saw he was doing, a, you know, the Daniel Bryan, uh, Jackie Chan move where he flipped from the corner. Kawada was doing that in 1985 and, and you know, doing planchas on the outside, walking the ropes. He was doing some stuff that you wouldn't expect from him. Toshiaki Kawada and obviously stuff he wouldn't use as a heavyweight but he was much lighter at this point as well even when they were in school he was actually lighter like a lot of people don't know this he was much lighter than Misawa in their amateur wrestling weight class so he was still doing a lot of stuff that you wouldn't expect from him as Black Mephisto uh, and I'm sure in all of his other (laughs) assorted gimmicks that they gave him but yeah it was a very interesting time and he was really uh, unhappy at this time But uh, he would have a little bit, uh, you know, things would turn up a little bit in Montreal for him when he left Calgary.
1: Well, I mean, Black Mephisto is, like, obviously a name that's now associated with uh, one Taichi Ishikari, now known (laughs) as just Taichi. And and I just wrote in my notes, uh, Taichi stealing the Black Mephisto name along with everything else from Kawada.
0: (laughs) Yes, uh, his his future student, Taichi uh, Kawada, taught him everything he knows uh, and, uh... I don't know how much he paid attention in, in his classes, but yes, he did steal that. Uh, he named his finishing move, which was like the air raid crash. He called it the Black Mephisto in tribute to his trainer, Toshiaki Kawada. Yeah,
1: so he, he wouldn't keep this um, this Black Mephisto character for, forever during his time in Canada. He would later evolve into the Korean uh, pro wrestler, Kiyo Kawada, which I don't think is a Korean name. Uh, this <laughs> no. still looks like a Japanese name, so I, I don't know why... You know, people are referring to this as a Korean gimmick. Uh, It doesn't sound like a Korean name. And I would know because I'm actually, you know, Korean. But anyways, he he wraps up his excursion. he leaves uh, Calgary, he leaves Stampede Wrestling, he moves over to Kickback, and he works uh, not, for, not, to, not, uh, to inter-
0: not to interrupt you a little bit on that material, but he had another name, too, in Montreal. Because, yes, uh, Kiyo Kawada, he was announced as being from Seoul, South Korea. And like you said, nothing about him is remotely Korean, even his name. Uh, but he also had another name. He was called Mr. Toshiaki in Montreal, as well. That was another of his uh, gimmicks that they had. And uh, at this time... He actually got to, uh, you know, he hung out, as Zink mentioned in his book, with him and also Rick Martel as well. And Kawada was actually quite friendly and hung out with Rick and his wife in Montreal. Obviously, you know, Martel, like, ran Montreal pretty much at at the time. He was, like, the star guy from there. And Kawada was uh, friendly with him. But other than that, he was a guy that was struggling hard, uh, you know, in Montreal because he, you know, I mean, let's just be honest. Kyo Kawada and Mr. Toshiaki are not main event gimmicks, (laughs) you know, to say the least so he wasn't really being able to even be booked that much. So this guy was stuck in Canada and it wasn't like Misawa where he got and I'm sure this is where a lot of his resentment came from later on like the, you could really t- you could probably trace it back to this excursion because remember Misawa got called back early to be Tiger Mask. Kawada was stuck for years in Canada like a couple of years Basically, being miserable and doing nothing, not knowing anybody, uh, getting probably getting mistreated by a lot of the North American wrestlers. Uh, Although he, like you say, like I said, he had a little, uh, a few allies with Zink and and Martel, and even in Zink's book, he kind of (laughs) he talks about him a lot. Zink's is a really interesting character if if you know anything about him. But he's like, he's putting him over. But then even he admits, like, basically he ditched him (laughs) in, in Canada. So it's like he really wasn't able to have that full life. You know, at that point, this is where a lot of his resentment went to Misawa as well, because this is something that was mentioned that Kawada and I think a lot of wrestlers at this time in the 80s as well. But he is a very noted example of it. He was really into the body, you know, like that was a huge thing for him at the time. And his body was not a bodybuilder level. You know, so you go to America and Canada, especially, and you're seeing a bunch of these jacked up guys uh, with super muscular bodies, and that was where Kawada actually tried steroids for the first time. Uh, you know, but uh, I, zinc according to him, he basically says that he, uh, it was very brief. It was only a few weeks that he tried it, and <laughs> a very funny story. Kawada, the reason why he was uh, very skeptical and not wanting to try them was because of the side effects on his nether regions, <laughs> pretty much. Which, again, I can relate to as well, because I, I had a very similar situation. That was my main question as well uh, when I was younger. And Kawada had those same thoughts as well. So that's what, that's what got him off of it, because he was worried about the side effects of steroids. Uh, you know. But he really wanted that body. That's a lot of where his resentment came, where he was like, oh, you, know, you look at Misawa, oh, you're so lucky. Why do you have this great body and these great looks? And I don't have that. You know, so that that was something that really burned in his mind was just the look of things, never mind wrestling skill or anything like that, Uh, just the look of things. And you see all these jacked up guys. Then you go back home and Misawa was like the super popular, handsome guy. You know, obviously was going to be the ace. And it was I think it was really disheartening for him that he felt he was not as handsome as Misawa and not as good of a body. And that's why maybe he thought that Baba liked him better. But even then, it's like they put him under a mask, so it didn't even matter that it was handsome. So that kind of made him even more frustrated at the time. Like, so th- there were lots of things around this t- era for Kawada that were so interesting uh, and really shaped his whole outlook on a lot of things going forward.
1: Yeah, so before before you know, 1986 ends. Like, thankfully for for Kawada, he he is able to get called back to Japan. He doesn't have to work in Canada anymore. Doesn't have to work for you know the 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 Rougeos in, in Montreal or for the Hearts in, in Calgary anymore. He can go back to Japan. And one of these thi- you know, one thing we have to mention um, that's really important, like about you know, we talk about the resentment that Kawada feels towards uh, Misawa and like kind of the roots of their, their rivalry. It's it's also rooted in like who their mentors were in, in, in all Japan. So like at some point in, in Kawada's early career, um, he is placed under the tutelage of one Jinichiro Tenru, and, and Misawa uh, subsequently is placed under the tutelage of one Jumbo Saruta and, for those of you who don't know, Jumbo Sura and Jinichi Tenru were rivals in in all Japan pro wrestling. They were basically Misawa and Kawada of the 80s. And so like for these guys who were friends to be placed in under the, you know, under different mentors was really significant, I feel. And I think it it kind of plays into their their on screen personas and it plays into like maybe the fans' minds of how they perceive Misawa and Kawada. Because, like, they're the direct, like, you know, descendants of the, the wrestling lineage of both Jepo Tsurita and Genichiro Tenryu.
0: Absolutely. I Like, that's a great little part to their story as well. Um, that's not really as, as recognized as much of, by a lot of the fans. I think it's because a lot of the fans, especially the Western fans of All Japan at that time, they... Jumped in with the four pillars, so they might have been just missed that Tenru and Jumbo feud. A lot of guys, but I really, really have to push everybody listening to this. If you've never seen the Jumbo and Tenru feud, that is so good. <laughs> like it's so it was vital to making the four pillars what they were because the style of of all Japan before then, you had a lot of DQ finishes, a lot of cheesy stuff. You know, and like great wrestling. Don't get me wrong, but a lot of stuff was. Um, you know, slower paced, more realistic and methodical. And with Jumbo and Tenru, they were like their and their rivalry specifically, their matches were like the they bridged the gap between the old way and the Four Pillars way that was to come afterwards. And they they both deserve a lot of credit, Jumbo and Tenru. And like you said, obviously Misawa would, would align with Jumbo at the time, and Tenru would be uh, having Kawada as his. Understudy, so that makes them. That's like another page to their rivalry, especially in the ring. That's something that you could always point to. That they were like the next generation, like you said, of Jumbo and Tenru, and they helped bridge that gap for the fans as well. Not just stylistically, but for the fans of that era. So I think that's really interesting how that all plays together. That's something that you that would be really hard to replicate today. I feel like with with somebody, it's like twenty years from now or or ten years from now or whatever, you know. It's going to be really hard for Kento Miyahara or somebody in all Japan. Obviously, times have changed and the company's changed so so drastically in these last thirty years. But that's something that you wouldn't really be able to see today. Kento Miyahara and somebody would be his rival, and they would have underlings that would follow in their footsteps. Uh, like to have it to this level would be so difficult because it was so meaningful to the fans, especially.
1: Well, I mean, like the thing with with Tenru and Kawada is that like Tenru would form a group called the revolution in all Japan for wrestling and, and Kawada would be a part of this. He would be kind of like, kind of, you know, the, the one of the young boys because like Samson Fuyuki would later on around in the late 87, he changes his name from Hiromichi to Samson and he joins uh revolution as well. And they become like the, the junior heavyweight tag team champions or tag team of the group. Like, so it's main, main members are like our Tenru and his partner, Asahara. Hara. They're like the, the big heavyweight members of the group and, and Ahara is is Tenru's tag team partner, but uh Fuyuki and Kawara, you know, they reformed Japanese force, but under a much better name this time, you know, Dylan, they're called Footloose. And they're kind of like like I think Baba's kind of, like, vision of, like, the kind of, like, high-flying tag teams that he would see come from America, like the Rock and Roll Express and the Fantastics. He wanted something like that. So he put Kawada and Fuyuki together. And if, you, if you're only familiar with, like, you know, Fuyuki, like, in his FMW days, you'd be like, Fuyuki was a high-flyer? Uh, <laughs> yes, he was. He was much smaller in his early off-Japan oh, days, actually. So, but the thing is, is, like, you know... He, Tenru is such an important influence on both like Kawada and, and Fuyuki, like to the point where like Fuguki at some point he leaves all Japan to join uh Tenru when when Tenru forms his own promotion. So, you know, like there's this like visual connection also between like Kawada and Tenru because like at some point Kawada adopts um the the colors of Tenru, the colors of revolution. He Wears black and, and yellow and like for the longest time he just had the most horrible gear like he would wear these god awful like zebra's print fucking pants with fuyuki and footloose and like variations of that for for up until like you know I could I say like maybe ninety one ninety two when he finally gets into the the black and the yellow and but these are the colors of revolution these are the colors of Jinichiro Tenru.
0: Oh yeah, the footloose gear for Kawada was horrible (laughs) there's no there's no question about that he went he made a huge step up when he went to the revolution kind of gear um you know he had the leopard front tattoo as well it was just terrible terrible gear but they were a very energetic tag team and they had some great matches again this is kind of like a footnote in his career because he went on to do so many great things but if you've never seen any of footloose as a team They're an amazing team together. They actually have a lot of really great matches. Uh, And that name was a pun on, again, on uh, their time in America, teaming as Japanese force, because that was kind of like a a reverse because it's like everyone expects them to be, you know, Asian stereotypes. So instead they had this um, super American style name with Footloose, a very famous movie, obviously. Uh, And so they used that as their name in Japan. So it was kind of like a reverse of their Japanese force name. In J- Japan, to use the American style name, but as workers, they were really, really good together. And Kawada, especially, uh, he was very energetic at this time. Still young, uh, you know. At this point, not the Kawada we would know with with everything, but still, he showed flashes of that. And they had a lot of great matches, so I really have to put over Footloose as a team. They're underrated historically, and that was a very influential time in Kawada's career. Even after Tenru retired and stuff, Kawada still spoke highly of Tenru. And they they've remained friends ever since. So, uh, you know, that's a really good stuff between those guys. They were they were both uh, Kawada really appreciated Tenru's guidance at that time.
1: Yeah. So one thing. I want to mention with Footloose is that, like you're saying, Dylan. They had like a really great run as a tag team. This included like kind of an on and off relationship with the All Asia Tag Team Titles, and you know they would feud with a lot of teams, uh, a lot of makeshift teams uh, from from the Japanese roster, but also like some established American teams, uh, including the Rock and Roll Express. And also they they would be part of like kind of the early development of Doug Furness and Dan Crawford as the Can Am Express before they kind of take over that role of being the kind of undercard, you know, tag team champions who are having like these awesome work rate matches. Um before the Canada Express, that was kind of like that space was kind of occupied by 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 Footloose. And I just think it's a it's a nice little footnote. Like if you want to get a complete like you know image of or, or reckoning of, of Kawada's career, you have to include this tag team that he has with Fuyuki and like all the amazing like, matches he has holding the all Asia tag team titles.
0: Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's it's really great wrestling too. If you if you want to want to go back and watch it, I think you'll be really impressed. And like I said, it's a different look at Kawada because he's so young. He's wearing these horrible <laughs> this horrible attire that you can see him in. And I also think that Revolution as a group was so well done. You know, you have Tenru and Hara as the team. You have Footloose as kind of the secondary tag champions. You have Yoshinari Ogawa still wrestling and wrestling Noah to this day. Uh, he was in um, Revolution as well, and he was kind of like their junior member at the time. So they all had different roles there, like all the members of Revolution. Revolution. So I thought that was really good that they, that they did that, and also worth noting to kind of bring in the Tenru and Jumbo and the Kawada Misawa comparison. That started after, because originally Jumbo and Tenru were a team, and then they split off and became rivals, uh, much like Kawada and Misawa would as well. So I do think that's worth mentioning as well
1: definitely definitely uh in 1988 a significant uh, occurrence happens like Tenryu's regular partner that we talked about Asahara he is fired from All Japan Pro Wrestling because of his his, his uh I suppose uh out of control gambling habits <laughs> and so you know he's out of the real world tag league as Tenryu's partner and so they need a replacement so they put Kawada as Tenryu's tag team partner in that year's real world tag league and They make it to the finals and they have an awesome finals uh, match against the team of Stan Hansen and Terry Gordy. And if you want to see kind of a a masterclass on how to get sympathy, a masterclass of selling, you have to watch this match. Like Hansen and Gordy basically decimate Kawada in this match to the point where, like, he, him just like, you know, getting back onto the apron, like, pops the crowd like Kawada selling in this match is just on another level like the, the way you as a viewer as a fan get sucked into his story like of him his struggle to like just you know help his his mentor and his partner against these two big bruising like american wrestlers in, in japan is 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 a, it's 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 just astounding definitely one of those one of those matches that i'm going to say go watch if you want to get like something uh, what's the what is so great about Kawada this is one of those matches that's going to show you how, what's so great about Toshiaki Kawada
0: and that's a really really important part of his entire career like that would be a recurring theme for Kawada as a pro wrestler because everybody knows him as Dangerous K the guy who kicks ass he kicks people to hell he power bombs people drops them on their head everybody knows that guy but what really made Kawada an all-time great worker was his ability to work from under and sell. And that's something like Stan Hansen, I think, this applies to as well, that, that they're both very underrated as working from under just because their offensive game was so awesome. But if you watch Kawada in these matches, a big theme of nearly all of his greatest matches are him working from under and selling and being able to get the crowd so into it. And like you said, uh, he was uh, you know just firing off. And the spots in that match, too— Uh, when he was teaming with Tenru versus Hanson and Gordy, the spots where he would fire up and throw his spin kicks, like one of his most traditional moves, that was so well-timed, so awesome, that I I just, I loved that match. It was so good. And Kawada was so great in it (laughs) as well. Even as the young guy, uh, I thought it was great. Uh, And Hanson in that match, just a a great rivalry for Kawada already, like the first part of it. And Kawada's role as kind of like a, a fearless rookie but also a guy with a lot of heart he sold that so well and I just like you said that was a great great match yeah and
1: one thing i want to mention you know in in relation to kawada's selling is that i think there's two people in in 90s japanese wrestling that i think are on just a completely different level with their selling and that's mainly because of their their facial expressions like they have the best most compelling facial expressions in, in wrestling. And that's, you know, Toshiaki Kawada is one of them. The other person is Shinjiro Otani. And I, I would challenge anyone who follows wrestling really closely to tell me who's better at than either of these two at selling with their faces. Cause it's unbelievable. Like how much, uh, how much story is being told, how much emotion is being sold to you um, by these guys just from the the. The, the expression on their faces, whether it's pain, frustration, like anger, or like, you know, just utter despair at not being able to to win their match, is is just on a different level. Like Kenne Kobashi is an amazing seller. I, I think, you know, Masawa has his legendary stoicism, which kind of, you know, I, I, I don't rate his selling as high as like Kobashi. Certainly not the same level as Kawada. And, you know, is a good seller if he's not on that level either. Like there's very, very few people within all Japan, or even in New Japan at the time, that that are on the same level as as Toshiaki Kawada.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think Kobashi was more expressive, more outwardly physically charismatic, but Kawada had a, a grasp of the little things, uh, you I, know, in a way. So
1: I think it was timing too. Like he yeah. he he like was very economical with when he was going to use these facial expressions as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I said, he had a, a lot of stuff that, uh, the nuts and bolts of it. Kawada, I think, was the best uh, of the four. at. But I, like that's a, a grand scheme of thing, uh, grand scheme of things sort of point. And I loved uh, everything about that. Uh, I do think too; it's worth noting at this time. It's something that we have to say about all of these guys and cannot be overlooked in any of the four pillars. Anybody you have on after me, uh, or Hisame Show, Hisame Show. Baba's booking was instrumental to all of these guys and it was so smart, like so well done throughout the years, even here in the 80s. I mean, they had this match here, which was a classic match. Like this was one of the best tag matches of the 80s, in my opinion, uh, Tenru Kawada versus Hanson and Gordy. But that this was set up, especially Kawada himself, like his role was very integral and it was set up in the match that was prior to this. They had a match with Jumbo Suruda and Yoshiaki Yatsu that set up the injury for Kawada that he was selling from that match and obviously I'm sure you know the, the heat between Tenru and Jumbo it was a very violent match uh, to say the least it wasn't as good as this one uh, with Hanson and Gordy but it set up this match so it's like from match to match booking week to week booking it was so strong like everything was so intricately put together by Baba That I think that that played a huge role in everybody's success. But uh, even back in 1988, before he was the Kawada, we would know he's he still had all of that going for him.
1: Yeah, so from from here we go into 1989, and Kawada basically spends '89 as you know the regular partner of either Tenru or or Fuyuki. And like I said, you know, Footloose, you know, they they have a nice relationship with the All asia Tag Titles. They they would win those titles three times, you know, while you know having feuds with a bunch of people, including, like I said, Doug Furnace and Dan Crawford, the Can-Am Express. Um, but it's in 1990 that something seismic happens. Janitor Tenru, he leaves All Japan for wrestling. And, you know, and later on in around around July of that year, you know, Fuyuki would also leave All Japan to go join Tenru in his new Super World Sports promotion. So the the question is, Dylan, what what happens with Tojiaki Kawada? Where does Kawada go? Like, there's no members of Revolution left. Footloose is done. So what happens with Kawada? So the, the answer is, is that, you know, Baba puts him with his... His, his, like, you know, his rival, kind of, at that time, it's Miss, Miss Tiger Mask. You know, Misawa's Tiger Mask. And so he says, okay, you know what? We got to give Kawada something to do. We're going to make him Misawa's tag team partner. And in, 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 it's, in, it's in this role that, you know, like, Kawada is actually a big part of Misawa's story. Because uh, on May 14th, in a tag match, Kawada and Tiger Mask have against uh, Fuyuki. And oh, who is the other person in that match? Um, I can't remember, but anyways, you'll you you're gonna remember, Dylan. May 14th, at some point, Tiger Mask beckons to Kawada, "Hey, untie this thing off my on my head." So Kawada goes over, and in a very very legendary scene, he helps untie the mask of uh of Tiger Mask of Mitsahara Misawa, and then Misawa rips it off, throws it into the crowd, and the chair and the in the crowd starts chanting Misawa, 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 and and it's the start of. The, the rise of Mitsuhara Masao in All Japan Pro Wrestling. And and Kawada is a symbolic part of that as well.
0: Yeah, uh, you know, and it's just, it's crazy how, how that would happen. Also, at this point, Kawada was in the blue and white <laughs> version of, of his attire. Uh, so, yeah, they, they were, they had a match with Fuyuki and Yatsu. Uh, and at the end of it, he threw the, the mask away, like you said, and Kawada was actually the one that helped take it off of him, which is a great, like, again, a little a little point of their career, but so emblematic of their entire story together. It's like, Misawa got this huge reaction from the crowd, and Kawada was right there helping take the mask off of him, <laughs> you, you know. Uh, so it was a, a nice little thing that you could look at, and you could see that that was a big part of their story, and obviously, that that moment... Changed wrestling history for all Japan specifically, but really all of Japanese wrestling. H- Baba taking the mask off, off of Misawa changed everything and really elevated everybody. And, and by the end of it, obviously the main thing was Misawa at the time, but that set up what was to come.
1: Well, it's it's this is really you know the, that match is really you know the seeds of what we would you know la- later you know get to know as the the Super Generation Army. So the Super Generation. It, army is is a unit for you know based around misawa and kawada as the main guys and uh, joining them are Kenta kobashi uh Kikuchi, and uh, a young akira Tawe as well this is before you know i think yoshi Yoshiki Yatsu is still in all japan so he's still the regular tag partner of jumbo Saruda. so but at some point yatsu leaves as well he leaves all japan to go join Tenru. And so, you know, Jumbo needs a tag team partner. So, you know, Baba decides it's gonna be Tawe and another great decision because as much as I love the Olympics, the team of Jumbo Saruta and, and Yatsu, uh I I think an equally great team is the team of Jumbo Saruta and Akira Tawe. And this is just brilliant booking in my part because now Tawe is on the other side. He's in Saruta Gun and we have the super generation army. It's four guys. And you have you have Masawa Kawada Kobashi and Kikuchi uh, in, in Super Generation Army, and then in Surutagun is Jumbo Tauai, um, It's uh, sorry Masabu Fuchi and and, and Yoshinari Yoshinarigawa Yoshinari Igawa would like move from Revolution and in, in join Suriga Gun as well later on as one of their junior guys, um, and he would like be kind of placed in there with Kikuchi in, in the junior heavyweight title scene. Uh, but it's it's this. It's this feud, like everyone talks about missile and jumbo, like, and yes, of course, that is so important to to the success of all Japan pro wrestling. But I think even more important is the overall feud of the units of Super Generation Army versus, um, you know, Surutigan
0: Dylan. Absolutely, that really shaped the history of all Japan going forward. It was so, so important, especially. After- After uh, what uh, you know, Jumbo's unfortunate sickness that he had that set up the that planted the seeds for everybody to be in their roles that they would have, pretty much this feud. And it was great to put Tawei away, uh, move Tawei away from the Super Generation Army to be under Jumbo and give them that guy. The dynamics were a lot different uh, with Jumbo and Yatsu, with Jumbo and Tawei, because Tawei was obviously the junior member, and that gave him a lot of great heat too because it was kind of like to the fans he was the one that turned on the, the young guys the other super generation army guys so that kind of made him seem like a traitor <laughs> pretty much at the time uh and it was crazy how that happened because you know in theory you could have seen when tenru left who knows what could have happened if kawada had left with him with uh, sws which was ill-fated i <laughs> say to say the least but uh, you know, that, that obviously didn't happen for, for whatever reason. I'm sure Kawada would have stayed anyway. I think he had an interview one time where they asked him about that and he was like, I never knew about it. Because uh, for a long time, a lot of people had thought that Tenru had asked him to come too. But he was like, I never knew anything about that, but I, w- I would have stayed anyway. It was basically his reaction. And I, I think that's pretty much true. When And to bring, in, bring him into the Super Generation Army added so many, so many great multi-man tag matches. Um, with not just Misawa and Jumbo, but like you said, all of the side characters, Kawada, Kobashi was in his role. At this point, Kobashi was younger than Kawada and Misawa, so he was still not at that level yet. Taui as well was closer to Kobashi than Kawada, although that would change quickly, obviously. Kikuchi was a huge part of those matches. Fuchi as well. The junior members played a great role in, in those matches too. I thought Jumbo was an expert at making everybody... Uh, rise above where they were and get the absolute best out of them, whether it was Misawa or Kawada. Like, everybody talks about Misawa, but Jumbo versus Kawada had multiple great matches uh, and standoffs in multi-man matches, but also in singles matches as well. So you have to really... You can't underrate the feud between Kawada and Jumbo as well at the same time. I, I, I mean, if
1: you look at Jumbo's relationship with each of the four pillars, right... Um, or, or with each of the members of the Super Generation Army, sorry, is what more accurately what I'm trying to say. Yeah. It's like he obviously has that, you know, that intense rivalry with Masawa, like because like Masawa is gonna replace him as the ace, and like he's holding on to his his throne. And this like young upstart, he's he's gonna take his kingdom away from him, and he, he wants to keep it from keep it away from him. So that's the base of their relationship. With with Kobashi, it's it's like. You know, Jumbo is like this mountain for Kibashi that he has to overcome to reach like the the potential that he has as a professional wrestler, and so that's kind of like the forms like the basis of their interactions and matches. To me, though, like the most interesting and with Kikuchi, I just should I should I shouldn't overlook Kikuchi. Jumbo just like beat the fucking shit out of Kikuchi. That's <laughs> really the basis of of their 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 interactions in in matches. Um, but with Kawada, I feel that like Kawada and Jumbo had just this really. Unique chemistry as well, unique dynamic. In that, you know, I always this is where I think like the the relationship that you know Kawada had with Tenru plays an important part. Is that you know, like you know, Jumbo basically transfers like his 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 feelings towards Tenru, whether they're kayfabe or, or or shoot feelings. I'm not exactly sure, but he transfers them to Kawada because he sees Kawada wearing the colors of Tenru, and he thinks, "I hate you." And I'm gonna beat the fucking shit out of you. And you're you're aligned with this guy who's trying to take my spot and you're helping him. So they have a very different dynamic, like Kawada and Jumbo do in, in their matches than you know than, than the Misawa and, and Jumbo do. I, I, I think really people should what they should do is people should watch one of those early singles matches between Misawa and, and Jumbo and then go watch a, a singles match that jumbo would have with Kawada in around the you know, the ninety two ninety three era, and it's it's really really interesting to see how Jumbo works these matches very differently from one another.
0: Uh, yeah, ninety one uh, would be you know by by ninety two Jumbo was already getting sick uh, by midpoint. So uh, right, right. yeah 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 they had ninety one ninety two. I had a great match in October uh, ninety one. I think that was Kawada's first ever triple crown match was uh, him versus Jumbo in October of nineteen ninety one. Uh great, great match, too. That was... Uh, I On my Patreon for Eastern Lariat, I do this 90s project show where I go over the top 50 matches of each year of the 90s, and that was a, a top 15 match that year, uh, Kawada and Jumbo. Uh, even in 91, like I said, Kawada's still not... Like, he's just becoming dangerous, K, that we would know. You know, like, he he had just gotten the, the black and yellow tights at that time. Uh, more known as a tag team worker, really, uh, at that point. Like you said, he was doing the multi-mans, but also as the sidekick to Misawa at the time, uh, so it's like at that era, that was a really interesting era for Kawada, because Misawa was only one year older than him, but he's placed uh, a sp- spot above him on the card so it was very interesting on that level too but like you said jumbo in long story short basically for what you were trying to say is whenever jumbo sees anybody he just wants to beat the shit out of him in in, in all japan that's like that's like his story (laughs) it it feels like anybody from super generation army specifically Uh, and fuchi was great that feud too as like a, a giant Trick heel that they had there, uh, especially against Kikuchi. Kikuchi is, like, uh, awesome in his role. Kobashi awesome in his role. Obviously, they were a tag team, and that kind of mirrored the relationship of Revolution, except Kawada was a step up. Instead of being, like, Kobashi and Kikuchi were kind of like the footloose role, and Kawada was Misawa's second, similar to Hara, uh, although he didn't have as many gambling depths <laughs> as, as Hara. So that that is the main difference there. Uh, but he was kind of making a step up from his earlier career in Revolution in the tag team, the junior tag team, up to the secondary character, and obviously that would be a big part of his story.
1: Definitely. So it's it's in mid to late 1990 that the, the tag team of Mitsuhara Misawa and Toshiaki Kawada really kicks into high gear, and they would go on to have like amazing tag matches with the with the likes of Jumbo and Tawe, with the Miracle Violence connection of Terry Gordy and Steve Williams, and an assortment of other kind of makeshift teams that would you know come into All Japan, you know, uh, put together from among the native wrestlers, and with the the foreign wrestlers um, that Baba would bring in, and it, it's just one of those one of those tag teams that you know like you look at it. On paper, and you think, "Wow, Masao and Kawada is a tag team. That must have been great." And then you actually watch their matches, and and it was great. They had just a really excellent chemistry with one another as a tag team. I, I don't think it's Kawada's best tag team. I think I think Masao and Kawada are uh, is Masao's best tag team, but I don't think Masao and Kawada is Kawada's best tag team.
0: Like the difference is is that he had more time with tawei later on like that if they if him and misawa had had a full decade or you know six years as a team i think they would be a legendary team and more renowned than they are because their time together even though it wasn't as long as uh, hda obviously they were incredible workers (laughs) like i mean this is no secret to anybody listening to this but they also had amazing chemistry together as a team and especially at that time period, they worked really well together, had some incredible matches, and it's no surprise that they were a part of so many great multi-man matches. But also just straight up tag matches against teams like you know Jumbo and Tawei. Like they had a million matches with Jumbo and Tawei that were great, great matches up there with many classics. Uh, maybe not at the tip, tip top of the Kawada and Tawei tag matches, but as a team, they were amazing and kind of underrated because they went on to s- so much more afterwards, and their time together was short. But if they had more time together, I think they would be as hailed of a tag team as there would be.
1: I, I just think with, with Kawada, you know, from his perspective that, like, in the Masawa Kawada tag team, he's the underling. He's the second to Masawa, yeah. and it's and it's very clear in the in the way the dynamics of that team work, whereas with with Tawei, right off the bat, I think, you know, and Kawada are presented as equals and that they're true, like, you know, partners in this team. It, it, like I never thought of Tawei as Kawada's second. I always thought of Kawada as Tawei as his tag team partner, as his, equal in that team so that's why i kind of like the, the that team a little bit more than the masawa Kawada team and of course yeah there's more great matches to choose from because they had a longer tenure as a team together but i don't know i just think the dynamic is a lot more equal between kuwata and Tawei than it is between masawa and Kawada.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. You know, that's a great point as well. But at the end of the day, it's like okay, they weren't as good as the greatest tag team of all time <laughs> here. So, uh, like, it's like either way, they were awesome, uh, more or less. But yeah, you know, like the the H D A team. When we get to that, those were incredible. Like that was an incredible team. So, so but, I
1: yeah, but sticking sticking with uh, the the salad koada, they they would enter the the nineteen ninety 1990 real world tag league in on the november december tour uh for all japan for wrestling and they had an excellent run in that tournament they accumulated 17 points uh, but they did lose matches to the eventual finalists of that tournament which would be the team of stan hansen and danny spivey and the miracle violence connection who would go on to you know fight for the the, the, the in the tournament finals but you know on the same show as the tournament finals dylan there is an excellent tag match between Masao and Kauaida and the team of Jumbo Surda and Akira Tawe. And this this is on the December 7th, uh, 1990 show from Budokan Hall. And uh, I think it's a much better match than the finals. Um, I could be yes. biased here. I mean, I, I love Stan Hansen, and, and I love the Miracle Violence connection. I, and I think the team of Sp- Hansen and Spivey is one of Hansen's best teams. I don't think it's his best team, but it's one of them. Um, but my God, this match in Budokan Hall between... Masao and Kawada against Jumbo, Jumbo Sura and Kiritawe is fucking amazing. I urge people to go check it out. You can find a lot of these matches on YouTube. Thank God, it's like you know, like the old classic All Japan stuff. Thank God, is just readily available for people to watch for free on YouTube and and other uh, streaming sites.
0: And thank God it is because those matches are so incredible. Um, just uh, amazing stuff there. Uh, that, that again, in in my '90s project, that was ranked highly. Uh, the the final show, even there was a great tag match uh, between those two, those same four guys. Like I said, they had a million great matches. <laughs> Towa and Jumbo versus Misawa and Kawada. They had a match from September 30th of 1990, which was a top five match of the year for me. I loved that match. Uh, and I love the follow-up too in the, the World Tag League. So it's like take your pick of which one's better, but they were both classic matches.
1: Anytime these four guys were you know getting the ring together in a straight-up you know two-on-two two tag is just just incredible. It's just I cannot speak highly. Like you know people speak about certain teams and series of matches like that happen in in wrestling today, and and I you know I think if you have a point of reference to like you know like you know, all Japan for wrestling of the early 90s that maybe you wouldn't necessarily think like this team, this American team is like, oh, they're the greatest tag team of all time. I, I don't think they are. I think there's a lot of better tag teams in the history of wrestling. That's just me. It's just my opinion. But like, to me, I don't think there's many teams that equal like the team of Tawe and Jumbo Saruta. And this is not a Jumbo Saruta or Akira Tawe show, but, you know, I just wanted to put that out there that I think, they're a much better tag team. Like as short as their run was, than some of these other teams that people think are are the best of all time.
0: The thing is, is that that everybody in all Japan, because the booking was so good, all of these main guys blend in, blend into each other's stories. So. It makes perfect sense to talk about these guys on every podcast. I guarantee you when you do the Kobashi podcast, you'll be mentioning Misawa and Kawada a lot and, and jumbo as well. It's like so much great things happen there. There are are literally hundreds and hundreds of matches that you can watch through the nineties of these guys that are so great and you'll just have a hell of a time. And it tells a great storyline of all of these guys, their uh back and forth role. And at that time that was really transitioning to where you know the end of the year in 1990 and the start of the year in 91 that was when kawada would kind of go on his next step of where they had firmly established jumbo and misawa as a rivalry and they really pushed it taue and kawada as a rival in 1991 and that was a you know we can talk about that
1: yeah we'll get to that like there's there's like an absolute bloodbath of a match between Kawada and Taule that's just yeah I didn't awesome. want to jump
0: ahead to that I didn't well, want to we'll, jump we'll ahead get to that.
1: that let me let yeah. me talk about two two other dates and then we'll we'll get firmly into that so in it's in 1991 that the team of Masao and Kawada would win the the first of their two world taking championships uh this in this match on July 24th, it was against the the team of gordian Williams, uh, and then uh, move into the the fall of 1991, October 24th. This is something you you mentioned before, Dylan. Um, you know, um, Kawada would make his first challenge of the Triple Crown in a losing effort against Jumbo Saruta. But again, just this really awesome you know, like match and like just the the interactions between Jumbo and Kawada in here are just fantastic. But you know, let's let's talk a bit about like kind of the the rivalries that that, that Kawada has. One is of course with with um, with Jumbo suruda, and it's a very different rivalry that that Jumbo has with him than it is against Masao, as I, as I said before. But also another big obstacle and singles rivalry that that uh, Kawada is developing is against Stan Hansen, and and I I will maintain that I think Stan Hansen has better matches with both. Uh, Toshiaki Kawada and Kena Kobashi than he does with Masaharu Masao because I think Masao and Hansen have this really like kind of chemistry with one another. It's kind of like an anti-chemistry almost. Not that their matches are bad, but they're just not as high level as Masao's matches with Jumbo are, or Masao's or, or Hansen's matches are with you know Jumbo or with um, Kawada or Kobashi And I think his matches with Kawada really, really. You know, compelling and interesting.
0: Absolutely, and Kawada had a lot of respect for Hanson. Uh, you know, too, too because of that. He he was like his favorite guy to work with, especially of all the foreigners. And I think Hanson's just loved by everybody. <laughs> First of all, to be fair, but still. Just what an incredible performer he was, you know. And like you said, having him and Kawada, I love their chemistry. It's what I mentioned earlier when we were talking about Kawada in the 80s. I think they're really similar stylistically. Never mind their stories or anything, just as wrestlers, it's heavy hitters, but with the secret ability to sell and make their matches great with like through the nuts and bolts of wrestling. And I think both of those guys were masters at their craft on that level, and they don't always get the Reddit, because I think so many people love just seeing them knock the hell out of people so much that that's what they remember them by but so that that kind of, that aspect of their work kind of goes underlooked but put them together and they had some incredible matches uh, at the time I Really, I actually liked, because remember, in 91, this 91 era, you mentioned the Jumbo rivalry. Uh, I liked Kawada's match with Jumbo better than Misawa's match of that year. Obviously, the 1990 match with Misawa and Jumbo were amazing and very important. Uh, but for the 91 match, Misawa and Jumbo had a third round in April, and I thought Kawada's match actually beat the third match uh, on there. So I think that's very interesting that you started to see that. Uh, Hanson and Kobashi, I mean, when you get to Kobashi's podcast... Their rivalry was incredible. You know, that was the great stylistic battle. Not just stylistic, but because of the roles they played. I think that's what elevated that, because Kawada was a step above Kobashi at this time. Uh, Kobashi was still a young guy. Like I said, Kobashi was more like Kawada in Footloose, and Kawada was more like he was becoming the Kawada we would know. So there was a different dynamic between those two, and it it helped because Kobashi was such an expressive seller that he was able to get the most out of Hanson, whereas Kawada, he was rising his way up and getting there to be an equal to Stan Hansen. And stylistically, I think they were much more similar than Kobashi and Hansen. So I made the matches different, but equally satisfying, in my opinion, in a lot of ways. So you can kind of take your pick depending on what kind of dynamic you prefer between the two performers. But we also
1: want to get to, like, this... Other incredibly important rivalry that Kawada has at this time, and it's against his future tag partner, and at this time, his one of his blood rivals, literally, and, and that's like Akira Taue, and like Akira Taue just has like this awesome, like you know, I don't know, like uh, kind of aura to him, in my opinion, against people like Masala and, and Kobashi, but like the the thing with him and Kawada as rivals is this like there's this pure hatred that exists there that obviously doesn't exist in real life. But on in the ring, it's just like palpable like how much they hate each other as being kind of like the seconds in their units and like they have to kind of prove themselves to be on like a sim- like be perceived on a similar level to like Masao and Jumbo respectively so they go out when they have singles matches against each other or when they're when they're paired against each other in multi man tag matches that they're the you know the intensity just goes to a different level
0: Absolutely you hit the nail on the head they weren't just feuding with each other they were feuding against the entire world's perception of them as the second best guys and their stables, so that added an increased intensity and an increased hatred like you said not necessarily real life feelings but still uh, i'm sure but they were able to bring their real life feelings of being pissed at being the second best guy <laughs> being viewed as that into their matches and it led to some incredibly uh hectic and violent brawls uh and matches that you wouldn't really expect in an all japan ring between these guys but their rivalry was so good and again, to kind of bring it back, it's like it's funny how everything—it feels like a lot of these moments we talk about always seem to come together. It's like missing pieces of a puzzle you put in in Kawada's career. Whereas, you know, you, you we talked about Jumbo and Tenru and the relevance of Kawada and Misawa, and there they were partners, and then they broke up. It's funny because I think the thing that Kawada, his legacy with Tawei is that it was the complete opposite of him and Misawa, where they started out as tainted rivals and then became tag team partners and came together. So it's like you had completely different uh, wear and tear between these guys. But that match uh, between those two, their first big singles match, January 15th, 1991, just an incredible bloody match with Wei. Uh There was chairs going on, people were swinging, but it felt it wasn't like a plunder match. Like, it was like they hated each other and were just grabbing anything they could to just beat the hell out of their opponent. Whereas that's, like, one of the things I don't like about the weapons matches is that sometimes it's like, let me try and grab a weapon that I need to use at this specific moment. Whereas in that match, it was more like, I will grab whatever I need to to bust this guy open because I hate him so much. And it felt so, like you said, realistic how they did it. It was so passionate uh, just a complete war. Uh, one one of my favorite matches of either man's career, actually. And I think what made it special is that it was so outside the box for all Japan, Because we all know the head dropping and the hard kicks and, and all of that stuff. The big moves and all of that. But this match and a lot of their matches, but especially their first match in 91, that was like something completely different than you would see in any Kawada Masawa match. Even though their animosity would grow and grow it was so much more visceral between Tawei and Kawada. So highly, highly recommend everybody watching that matches And all of that rivalry is so good.
1: Uh, so jumping back into uh, like 1992, uh, Super Generation Army, they reached the finals of the Real World Tag League, but they lose uh, against the Miracle Violence Connection. This is, this is also for the vacant tag titles. So you know what's kind of interesting, Dylan, is like every year, they would, whoever held the world tag titles would vacate them and put them up in the, the real world tag league, I'm glad they don't do that anymore because I, I don't like when teams don't lose the titles. I hate when they vacate titles for for things like this. So I'm kind of glad how, they
0: ca- That's how it would often happen is like they would vacate them and then they just win the titles back <laughs> at, at the end, too. And that was kind of lame. Like, like you said, I much prefer them not do that as well. I, I agree with you.
1: Uh, on June 5th, he challenges for the Triple Crown again, but this time it's against uh, Stan Hansen. Uh, in September, he defeats uh, Tawe to become the number one contender for the Triple Crown. This time, it's held by his partner, Mitsuharu Misawa. So October th- 21st is, is the first time we see Toshiki Kawada and Mitsuharu Misawa compete in a singles match against each other for the Triple Crown Championship. Of course, you know, Kawada would lose that match. Uh, and then at the end of 92, we see Misawa Kawada enter the, um, oh, sorry, the the... I, I got my, my notes mixed up a little here. The the 92 real world tag league. And uh, no, wait, that uh, da, 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 91, they reached the finals. 92, they, they entered. This is their last time together uh, in the real world tag team, uh, tag league together, Misawa and Kawada. And they finally win it. They've never won this this tournament, but they finally win it, defeating the, the team of Akira Tawe and Junak Gamma, who has replaced Jumbo Suruta. And, you know, it was kind of interesting to see. Tawei and Akiyama team together because, like, I think what if, what if that stayed together? What if it was like Akiyama as like the like and Tawei was going to be like his own guy and lead the faction and Akiyama was going to be his second? That would have been that would have changed the course of all Japan for wrestling, I think.
0: Absolutely, it would have been completely different if that had happened. And who's to say, because Kawada likely would have stayed with Misawa if that had happened, uh, if Tawei was going to be the leader and then Akiyama was going to be like their number two. But like I said, if Kawada and Misawa had more time together, I think they would have still had a ton of classic matches and everyone would have loved that whole run anyway. I don't think, the like, Kawada and Tawe was a great rivalry, uh, but the way, and the truth is, we saw what would happen later when Akiyama rose up against Misawa. He didn't really put him over until later on. So I don't think they could have been able to have, you know, Misawa didn't give Akiyama the gentle touch that Jumbo gave Misawa. So so you wouldn't have had somebody to feud with Misawa. So I think that that would have been a really awkward dynamic going forward, because Tao was more known with, as Kawada's rival at the time, and Akiyama was still super young at that point and wasn't ready to be that top guy. So it would have changed everything around, but they still would have had many amazing matches, even though the storyline... I think the storyline dynamics worked exactly the best as they could have with how it actually happened. But if that had happened, it would have been a, a crazy alternate universe. But I still think no matter what, there would have been a ton of classic matches between these four, one way or the other, regardless of who was teaming with you. Even if even if Taoe had teamed with Misawa and Kawada and Akiyama were tag team partners, it still would have been great matches between these four. I just think that they were so talented that they made every everything work.
1: Yeah. So from by this time, um, we got to say that Jumbo is basically done as an active wrestler uh, in All Japan for Wrestling, and, and Misawa is a firmly... St- established as the ace of the company so you know that means is that well okay we need a new native rival for Mr. Haramasa we need a new native rival to challenge uh be the persistent challenger of our new ace so you know know, basically Baba says well that's gonna be Kawada so in the 1993 champion carnival Baba plants the seeds for Kawada to send to that role with a classic time limit draw that 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 happens between Kawada and Tawei on, on uh, April 12th. And this is a match um, that I reviewed with Brian Elliott on episode six of this series and uh, go listen to that, please. And, but the thing is, is like with that, is like, that's where they, you know, they, they showed respect to one another. They buried the hatchet and they would later, you know, we're going to get to it, but they're going to, they're going to form the Holy Demon Army from the, the kind of like the, the outcome of, this particular match, Dylan.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it was time, you know, at that point, Kawada and Misawa had won the tag titles twice, actually, but neither one of those runs were exactly prolific. And the second one, it's like, they won the tag league to win the tag league more so than the titles. And they lost them right away. So it's like, at that point, Jumbo was going down uh, with his illness and... The tag team, like you said, the main thing was to fight a new rival for Misawa. And who better than Kawada at the end of the day? Of course, their run had been talked about. You know, it it felt like it was coming. It felt like it was time for Kawada to break out on his own, kind of in his own way. Even though, like you said, they were more equals, uh, Kawada and Tawei, But still, they were... um, it was so necessary to give Kawada away from get Kawada away from Misawa, so he could do his own thing and step out of that shadow. So I think that really worked on two dividends because it put him over. It also allowed Kobashi to step up as the number two. And much like I much like I said earlier, Kawada went from his kind of footloose role to his number two role, and now he's at that top peak. And it let Kobashi step up from the junior tag team role to the number two role. So it helped everybody come together, that's what really, that whole moment when he sided with Tawei and they showed respect after these years of bloody rivalries that they had, and bloody feuds and bloody, bloody, bloody brawls that they had, that moment really set the stage for the Four Pillars of Heaven era of All Japan.
1: Yeah, so it's really interesting because in, in that match, that Champions Carnival match is, you know, like Kawada's second in that match is is uh, Siyoshi Kikuchi. So after, you know, Kawada shakes Taway's hand and like, you know, Masanobu Fuchi is, is Taway second. And, you know, Kikuchi is just kind of giving Kawada this like, sideways glance, at least in my, in my headcanon he is, at least. Like, that's what I'm getting <laughs> into it. But it's one month later on May 13th that Kawada has a singles match against Siyoshi Kikuchi. Where and it, it, this is available on YouTube. I, I really recommend people go watch this match. Like, I, I hope some
0: point someone picks this match because I would love to re watch it and review it. Or, hey, series. before I interrupt you, but can I just say one thing? Kikuchi <laughs> was so good, <laughs> man. Like, he was so awesome. A- everything he did, all kinds of matches uh, that he did the tag team, but whenever he would get a singles match against someone like a Kawada or a guy that was above his stature, it's like he was amazing in that role. And I was thought, like, man, this guy's so underrated. It's crazy how, like, his size has held him back so much because I think he had all the talent in the world to be a main event type of player that we should be talking about on this show more. But because of his size and because of how everything played out, it's like after this Four Pillars era started, the juniors, like, really went down. Uh, even more so than they already were. You know, they never were at a a tip-top spot in all Japan, obviously, at that time. But someone like Kikuchi is so underrated historically, and he just made every match the best it could and really helped get Kawada over in that incredible match that you're about to talk on.
1: Yeah, so like, yeah, the May 13th like, Cork and Hall match between Kawada and Kikuchi is basically, like, Kawada's departure from the Super Generation Army, because one day later, uh, the Holy Demon Army has their first match together as a tag team, and they take on the team of Kikuchi and Kenneka which you can also
0: see on YouTube. And I urge you to watch this, because it's fucking great. The thing is, if we... like, the, And I was just thinking about this. The more we talk about these matches, it's like, if we were to go over... Imagine if we did a show it was just one show about all of the great matches that these guys had with each other this would be a 12 hour podcast <laughs> that we would have just even even if we just briefly went over the matches that's how many amazing amazing matches they these guys had with each other you are missing out if you haven't seen some of this stuff but yes it it's so satisfying too to see the way that the storylines come together and the seeds all grow and to do different things and this was another point where like you said whatever match you watch watch from this era where Kawada is about to turn not necessarily turn necessarily it's a little dramatic but he went out on his own all of them are great you know just watch all of them it tells a great story it sets up the future it sets up great matches in the future great singles matches and tag team matches everything about it was so well booked so well performed the crowds were super hot it was just awesome. Like what a I, what an incredible period of wrestling this was.
1: Like like you said, it's not it's not an American style turn. Like Kawada basically, you know, you know, shakes Taui's hands, you know, Kikuchi in my head cannon, gives him a sideways glance. Okay, <laughs> this is gonna lead to this this uh this singles match at corken Hall, which which Kawada wins and basically he leaves you know super generation army and then he, he, he has his first match with Tai as his tag team partner, as the Holy Demon Army, and they defeat Kikuchi Kawashi. You know, the really great thing about this, Dylan, is that Baba, like you're talking about, how a great booker he is, he keeps Kawada and Masao away from each other, right? So they, people are probably thinking, oh my God, I now want to see Kawada. And what's Masawa going to do when he finally gets in the ring across from Kawada? But we're, we're going to have to wait for that uh, because, you know, um, you know, Seven days after the you know the, the Holy Demon Army have their debut match together as a team, they win the World Tag Team titles from uh, Doctor Devi Williams and Terry Gordy, and then it's on June 1st that finally this is you know Baba's you know made everyone wait for about a month or so, and it's finally June 1st the Holy Demon Army takes on the team the new Super Generation Army team of Mitsuharu Masawa and Ken and this is the the first of many battles that these two teams would have against each other for the World Tag Team Titles, Dylan. And, and what a great rivalry this
0: is between these four guys. Just like we mentioned, the team of Kawada and Misawa and Jumbo and Tawe had a bunch of incredible matches, like tons of them, literally. And amazing that it would transfer to an even more well-known and well-renowned rivalry between Kawada and Tawe and Kobashi and Misawa. And stuff that, you know... Uh, just the stuff of legend with some of these matches. There's so many great points. And like you said, just great booking to set them apart and make you wonder as a fan, like what's going to happen when they finally get at each other all these years, Kawada and, you know, Kawada had his fans and support too. I'm sure they're thinking, wow, he's been under Misawa this whole time. What's he going to do out as the top guy now? Uh, You know, and it's kind of interesting too, at this time period, I wonder I think I remember reading an old observer where it said this, and I I don't want to quote it directly. It's just, uh, I may be wrong, but I think I remember reading this that they might've hoped that Jumbo would be able to overcome everything and be able to come back again. Uh, You know, because this is really early on in everything that happened with him. So they might have been thinking that, uh, too, as well. Like, that could have been a little bit of a a role they could have had. Or maybe, like, uh, you know, earlier on, people were thinking that Kawada was just going to strike out on his own. They didn't have this idea of a a unite, you know, uniting with Tawe in mind. But then they came together, and I wonder how much they knew about, like, Baba and and company knew about what was going on with Jumbo, and if they were already planning the scenes for the huge future that we would have, obviously that would happen in real life. But it was great booking uh, to have these guys apart and set up something like that, uh, to finally have it, and just more great matches between all of these four. Uh, I just, you know, and they had great singles matches too, even, you know, Kawada and Kobashi later on in the year. Uh, it's like they uh, these guys could do no wrong, like these four pillars. That's why they their legacy is so strong and so great as it is. I just again, a great storyline to follow if you watch all the matches in order. I think that enhances your experience, whether than like, you know, so sometimes you can watch a bunch of matches in a row. And it's like by the third or fourth, fifth match, you're like, oh, man, like this again, <laughs> you know, pretty much. But with the all Japan guys, if you watch their stories in a chronological order and their matches in a chronological order, I think it only makes the later matches better. It doesn't make you tire out of them. So I think that's a, a sign of a truly great. Everything about it was just great, in my opinion. So
1: in 1992 and 1993, Kwada's pretty much continuing his dom- dominance as a tag wrestler. But he can't seem to put away either Masawa or Stan Hansen away in singles matches, so he's kind of just struggling in that regard. But like him and Tai are just having a stellar, <coughs> excuse me, two year run here as the Holy Demon Army. Um, in-, in fact, they hit them and uh, and uh, the Super Generation Army. They meet in the finals of the 1993 Real World Tag League again, and that's another amazing match. It's like, it's like, you know, like Baba had this like amazing like ingredients and he put these four guys together and it it created this wonderful like tag team stew, Dylan.
0: I think something that I, I did want to mention earlier and I think it's important, too, that, that like your point about him being in singles matches and not getting over the hump was a big part of his story as well and why he turned away. Because if you look at the last couple of months of his run in the Super Generation Army, he really went out with a bang in terms of some of his matches. Because, like I mentioned, it's like they won the World Tag League, but then they lost the tag titles a month later. But then he had these singles matches against Stan Hansen and Misawa. Like, back-to-back, Stan Henson in February, February 28th, and Misawa on March 27th. And that was at the Champion Carnival. And it's like, those matches were so great. And you could tell, especially in the Misawa match, you could tell that he was getting more aggressive towards Misawa and that he was ready to break out on his own, uh, pretty much. So I think that that told a great story in and of itself. The tag match in December, December 3rd, that was a top five match of the year that year for me. And, like, 93 was an incredible year of wrestling, by the way. Uh, that was the same year in general where you had stuff like Ken Dori and Hokuto's amazing match. You had the Thunder Queen match. Hansen and Kobashi, uh, their original match was amazing. Uh, and, like, a ton of stuff there. You had H- Hase and Muto as a tag team with Chono and Hashimoto had a great match. Vader and Flair even in America. So, 93, you had a lot of great matches. Uh, but that match stands out to me as like a top five level match of that year. And among their rivalry, one of their absolute best. So that says something because they had many, many great matches. But to me, that match, the December 3rd match was so incredible with all four men.
1: And then we move into 1994, which is a much, much better year for Kawada. He he would enter the Champion Carnival and he would go on a tear in that year's tournament and he would win the whole thing taking on Dr. Desti Williams in the finals. Uh, he would come up short against Misawa once again, uh, for the Triple Crown on June third. Like so there's that saying, you know, always a to mate never the bride. And and that's kind of like the story with Kawada and Misawa. And and just as a side note, I really wanna put a plug-in for uh, our friend Jamesy over on his new podcast the the Boots and Truck podcast and he he talks about this rivalry between Kawada and Misawa as a backdrop for the you know the famous tag match we we would see between you know Kawada and Taihei against Misawa and Kobashi in in uh in 1995 he really talks a lot about the history of Masao Kawada, so I urge people to go check out the the Boots and Trunks podcast on the uh, We Don't Know Wrestling uh, podcast network. That's an amazing first episode that James does with with uh, with that as a topic. So I just wanted to plug that while we're on the topic. Um, because...
0: Absolutely, J- Jamesy did an amazing job. I love that guy a lot. I consider him a great friend too. And he knows his wrestling. Straight up, that was a great, great debut episode. And about an amazing match, I'm sure we'll get it too. But yes, this uh, March, uh, this June 3rd match, I mean, this, to me, when I first got into Japanese wrestling, when I first started watching it, this was like the match. <laughs> like of all of the, the, the match that everybody said was the greatest of all time or one of the greatest. And it's kind of crazy that that's re- that, that is its reputation so it's really hard to say if it's the exact number one of all time, but to me it's right up there, it's untouchable in a lot of ways, but if you watch all of the stuff that led to this moment, and this match, uh, I think it's an unbelievable classic, and this is something like this was the moment I was actually waiting for on this podcast, was to actually talk to you about this, even when you were doing the Misawa show with Hisame, I was thinking of this exact moment to talk about so I want to ask you a very important question I think it's been debated before, and I think we should talk about it now. Now, everybody knows the match itself was incredible, but Kawada lost. Do you think that this was the time to pull the trigger on Kawada? Because we'll talk about what happened later on after this, but do you think it would have been better if Kawada had gotten his big win here, Uh, not too dissimilar to when Misawa upset Jumbo uh, in 1994 years prior? Do you think that this would have been the era or like the right time, rather, to pull the trigger on Kawada as the Triple Crown champion, finally beating Misawa.
1: So this is ninety four. Yeah, I, I'm gonna say yes because I think we are seeing the toll that the the All Japan style is taking on Misawa physically. Like he's not the same. Like he's not like Noah. This is not Noah Misawa, obviously. But this yeah. is like this is not ninety one Misawa either. It's not ninety two Misawa either. It, it it's 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 taken its toll on him like he's he's physically you know showing the signs of the deterioration that that would plague him throughout like from i'd say 98 on um in his career um and i think you know you know the thing about kawada is that he he holds up like physically really well throughout most of his career even in this age of being dropped on his head like he's literally dropped on his head multiple times by just misawa alone Right with Tiger Driver ninety one and and a bunch of you know backdrops and German suplexes, so like, but he's he's able to like he's not you know the you know the best you know shape of, of of those guys, but he's there's nothing wrong with the way he looks for for Japanese wrestling in my opinion, and like he's maintained like this kind of like certain level of like not being completely. Destroyed, like 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 you'll see with Kobashi and and Misawa later on. So, like I, I think, yeah, he should have, you know, Baba should have pulled the trigger on this and had him win the t- triple crown against Misawa on on June third. I I don't I wouldn't be in the camp that says no to that.
0: Absolutely, and I think in hindsight, it's even more apparent. That uh, to me the one flaw that Baba had as a booker, and like we're getting to that turning point, the second half of the decade, I think that becomes a lot more evident than here. But I do think that Misawa was pushed as the be-all end-all for a little too long, and I think Kawada winning here would have helped alleviate that a lot, uh, actually, and especially considering how his title reigns went afterwards. Uh, Kawada's that is, I think him getting the huge win here would have felt like, uh, like that would have. I think he would have been a similar amount of star either way, like because I think it did work out in its own way uh, with how it happened in real life. But if he had won here, that would have elevated him to a new level, and as a true equal to Misawa, which I don't think he ever was. Uh, Even after he beat him, I don't think he was ever on Misawa's. like, Nobody was, really, not just Kawada. But I think... To the fans, Misawa was the ace of the company, and he always was. And, I mean, he could still be the ace, even if he lost here. There's no reason he couldn't have won it back, I I feel like. But I think that this was the moment he had a lot of momentum. I mean, this six-month run, we we mentioned the tag match at the end of the year. To this point, Kawada had incredible matches and incredible wins up and down the card. So I think that this would have been an amazing moment if Kawada had won. And I think that's something that's going to be talked about forever among old-school pro-res fans this is like one of the great debates i feel like should kawada have gone over here and i agree with you i think he should have too actually i think this is one of B- baba's rare missteps i mean it's still it still worked out like i said in the end but i think it would have been that much better if kawada had won
1: well i mean like you can draw parallels with like kawada and misawa because like you know like misawa never got his triple crown win over jumbo right yeah. jumbo never put him over for the triple crown like yeah jumbo put him over in singles matches and he made misawa a star he made him basically the ace of the company but he, you know like he never did it for the triple crown and i think if you know hindsight being 2020 if baba knew that that you know what would happen uh with jumbo and his physical health that he probably would have you know booked you know one of those matches for for the triple crown that misawa would have beaten him for the triple crown he wouldn't have beaten stan hansen for the triple crown, he would have beaten Jumbo Siruda. And I think hindsight being twenty twenty, like, you know, you know, like Baba in 1998 would look back four years earlier, like he would say, you know what, this is the time we're going to, it's Kawada's day. He's going to win the title here. And I, I firmly believe that he would have done that if, if he, if he could have seen the, you know, what would happen four years later with like the, the physical state of a lot of these guys.
0: Yeah, I I agree. Hindsight is twenty twenty. I guess you could say on that one. But I do agree with your point on him never beating Jumbo. I think that uh, that was unfortunate. That would have happened if it wasn't for the illness, though. Like you know, so that's kind of a, a sad little thing there. That whole thing is is a huge. That's that we could do a whole show on that in and of itself. Uh, the ramifications of Jumbo get, getting ill. But this is definitely a case of it. Uh, I just think that unfortunately he was trying to play the long game once again, and like you said by the end of the decade, we had saw the, you know, things had come home to roost pretty much by then. I think it would have been a little bit better, but uh, still uh, just an incredible match. And its legacy is so strong that it's still considered even what uh, 27 years later, still considered one of the greatest matches of all time. by People have seen seen it. And I think it still will be for many years to come.
1: Yeah. I think it's probably my favorite of their, their singles matches for the triple crown against one other, like, you know, I mean that. you have to qualify a lot of their matches against each other. <laughs> you know, there's no. This is just a champions carnival match. This is just a regular singles match. And this is for the triple crown because they're they're all they all have different dynamics. Like. You know, depending on what the match is for between Masao and Kawada, but it's not all you know, like you know, doom and gloom for Kawada in 1994. Dylan, he no. d- he does indeed win the Triple Crown for the first time on October 22nd against Doctor Death, Steve Williams, and in, in a very, really great match. I think this is like maybe one of the the last of the great great matches that Steve Williams is going to have in all Japan is is around
0: 1994. Uh... Yeah, 94 was Dr. Death's best year by far, in my opinion, uh, and he had a lot of great matches. He was one of the best wrestlers of the year that year, and Kawada, like you said, he finally got his big win in October. Uh, again, uh, you know, like you said, kind of like Misawa beating Hanson years prior, now Kawada beat Dr. Death, so to speak, so that kind of set up an interesting little future rivalry, a future match, and I think that maybe he might have been thinking that way, too. That he had already, Baba had already imagined Kawada winning the title, but he wanted to build up to a match against a guy he had never beat uh, going forward. Uh, although with how things played out, it it played out in an in, a, in an interesting way. It didn't quite work out that way, but still.
1: Well, I think you know one thing we have to talk about really briefly is that you know it's not just a way to keep Kawada and Masao away from the triple crown. You know, away from each other in regards to the triple crown, right? Like having Kawada, having trying to delay just like Kawada winning the triple crown from Misawa, Finally, I think there's also like it's an, it's an earnest attempt on Baba's part to to find a Gaijin replacement for Stan Hansen in, in the form of Steve Williams, because obviously at this time Terry Gordy's out. He's his his drug problems have have, have like left Baba no choice but to get rid of him, um, and and so like now it's Steve up to Steve Williams to kind of like you know kind of take up the mantle of, of, of being the top foreign wrestler in, in the company that, that has been like Stan Hansen's kind of crown for the last 10 years at this point. And so like him getting the triple crown at this point, is, it was, I think very much a way to try to establish him in the eyes of the all Japan fans that this, this, this guy, is not just a tag team wrestler. He's going to be an important like, you know, guy going forward in terms of like the, the foreign wrestlers that we bring into the company.
0: It was either going to be Dr. Death or Johnny Ace. I, I, if you know me, I'm gonna go with Doctor Death <laughs> any day of the week over Johnny Ace. You know jo- Johnny, I will give him credit. He had some good matches, uh, and they were like honestly, they were kind of an underrated tag team. Uh, Johnny Ace and Steve Williams. I've been and i have I'm on '95 now in the '90s project, and I've really been surprised by their chemistry as a team. I think they've done a great job uh, in '94, '95 as a tag team. Uh, And then, obviously, in 95, you would get somebody like a Gary Albright coming over to him and Doc's teamed a little bit as well. So you had the Patriot coming in. So you had a a little bit of good foreign talent coming in in 94, 95, 96. But I think definitely Dr. Death was the right option of of the guys they had available at the time.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think,
0: like, I don't want
1: to just say this one point, then we'll get back onto Kawada. But I, I do think, like, the what was it called? The Triangle of Power? Dr. Death and and Gary Albright, very underrated tag team. Like, Gary Albright was really great at, like, just throwing people around with his suplexes and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, very, very good guy. I came from UWFI, had the great suplex game. Great partner just uh, in terms of how they looked together. I think they were a natural tag team. Uh, Even though I really enjoyed the Dr. Death and Johnny Ace tag team in terms of in-ring, Dr Death and Albright they were a natural pairing. It felt like more so than Johnny Ace, but like i said then that uh that led the way to get in ninety six two with kobashi and Ace and Patriot uh, oh, I am sure I'll of- get
1: to get when uh when I do the kobashi show but yeah, uh... yeah
0: yes, exactly. I can't wait to listen to that uh because what i I will say this to everybody out there when I was a young child. I was a huge fan of the Patriot when he was in WWF uh, for his brief run, and I loved watching him. I always have a nostalgic pop for the Patriot here, but he doesn't really have that much to do with Kawada, <laughs> unfortunately. No, no, he,
1: he does not. Um, so Kawada is now the Triple Crown champion. He wins from Doctor Death, Steve Williams, in uh, you know nineteen ninety four. Uh, he would hold that title for a little while. He would eventually lose it to Stan Hansen on March fourth in nineteen ninety five, but you know Kawada would get revenge for this loss of the Triple Crown to Hanson on March 27th, when he finally beats Hanson. I think this is like his first singles win over Stan Hansen in the Champion Carnival of Dylan.
0: Yep, absolutely. Great win for him. But this title reign is a very important part of uh, Kawada's career. Like the the first step in a long line of this sort of deal. Kawada, his only title defense was the 60-minute draw with Kenta Kobashi in January 1995. A legendary match in its own right. But the main thing was that he never had a truly successful defense where he won the match. He had a draw, and then he immediately lost it to Hanson. So he never really had a true defense of the title here. And this was the first of many that he would have. But like I said, like you said, rather, it paid off with him getting the big win over Hanson. And like the way Baba booked getting wins over guys was almost like winning a title in and of itself in that sort of way, where if you lost to a guy over and over and over, now finally beating him and overcoming that mountain, as you mentioned earlier, Meant something as much as a title, almost.
1: I mean, like with Baba, it's it's either like three scenarios that you have for like getting big wins. It's like either, it's either for a title. In this case, would be the like the triple crown. It's either in the champion carnival, whether it's in a tournament match or in the finals, or it's in a Budokan singles match. You know, like in a maybe semi-main or the main event of Budokan Hall. Uh, of a Budokan Hall show so like that's kind of like you know Baba's kind of you know way of booking things is like those where you get your big singles wins is either in those scenarios you can get big wins like in Osaka or in Hiroshima or Nagoya or other parts of Japan but like he says like the big singles like pushes for for Tokyo right so especially um in in Budokan Hall is like of course the the home of of all Japan wrestling's like you know legendary you know, matches and stuff like that. So like, it, it's, it's, it's one thing I've, I've realized about, about jump, about Baba is like, he, he really loves Budokan hall. He loves it more than the Tokyo Down. you know? So, and there's a reason why, cause
0: it's a much better venue than the Tokyo. Dome. <laughs> well, uh, you know, Budokan hall was a legendary building and had so many great matches and that was my design on Baba's part. So great stuff there. I uh, love seeing that, but yeah. I, the sad thing is that it was really Hansen was more or less a transitional champion back to Masawa, which goes back to my earlier point that they kind of relied on him a little too heavily, in my opinion, uh, in the 90s, especially this second half of the decade we're getting into. I think that they could have given Kawada a little bit more, uh, but it kind of played into his overall story. So, like I said, it worked out in the end. I mean,
1: you know, like you've used the phrase "snake bitten." When you come to talking about Kawada, especially with his, his relationship with the Triple Crown, I, I I see a lot of parallels between like Kawada in the nineties and with like the career of Goshizaki up until this point, Because right? like yeah. for the longest time, like Goshizaki was like one of the worst stake bitten people in wrestling as far as like being a world champion in whatever company he was working for at the time until mm-hmm. this current run he's having, like which is like kind of the run of his of his career. That he's had in the last year or so, um, like Koada would have that. We're going to get to that, obviously, at some point. Yeah. Like his his when he finally is, you know, got gets the the big title reign. But we're not there yet, so we got to continue. With 1995, uh, Holy Demon Army retained the World Tag Team Title in an absolute belter of a tag team match against Masao and and and, and Kobashi. This Dylan, to me, this is the greatest tag team match of all time. I know some people are saying, like, something that happened in 2020 is the greatest tag team match of all time. Well, you've never seen this fucking tag match. If you think that 2020 tag team match is the greatest tag match of all time, this, June 9th, 1995, is the greatest tag team match of all time.
0: I completely agree with you. And uh, I know Jamesy agrees with us. So so we we have the triumvirate of approval to this match. And I think, and we're far from alone in this. Uh, we are
1: the true triangle of power here. You know
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. He's the, he's the spiritual third member of the show right now, but uh, I'm, I, I couldn't say anything that hasn't been said before by him and many other people. Just one of the greatest matches of all time. You can make the case it was the best overall match of all time. Let's just say by the end of the 90s project, I'm going to redo, uh, I'm going to look over every list and make an overall list of the decade. I'm going to have a lot of hard decisions to make about what turns out to be number one because this was every bit on the same level as 6'394. And the crazy thing is, and during this time, this is a little bit of a footnote in and of itself, but this was a top three match of the year for me. Uh, Kawada had a singles match with Tawei in the Champion Carnival. His first since they were a team. That was an incredible match. It's like they still had this amazing chemistry uh, that they had together. I would have loved to have seen at some point Kawada reunite with Misawa as a team, just to see what they would do. Even if it was just for like one match or two. uh, I would have loved to have seen how that would have played out. I, 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 I
1: would have loved to have seen Kobashi and Kawada as a tag team. Like oh, the, yeah. On Masawa and Tawe. either them as a tag team or them with different partners. Like, Masawa would probably get it with, like, either Akiyama, which is eventually what happened, or with, with Ogawa like, Tawei, I don't know, maybe Taiwei would have gotten, like, Takayama as his partner or something like
0: that. Oh, uh, that, that would have been awesome. Like I said, I, w- I would have loved all of those combinations. But it's, like, so many great matches. But the tag match is definitely the top of the heat. But, like, that Tawei kawada singles match, the Misawa Tawei singles match in the Champion Carnival was an incredible match. It's, like, my top three matches of that year, top four even, uh, they had a, a sequel to this match, too. Uh, the 6-9 match, they had another match in October, October 15th, which was an incredible match on top of it. So it's like these guys dominated 1995, I felt like, in terms of the overall year of classic wrestling. These four were truly the four pillars, and that match stands at the top of the heap. Just an all-time classic.
1: Is amazing. Uh, 95, actually, you know, like, it's a great year. For for the Holy Demon Army, they remain dominant in the tag division and Kawada is starting to get really, you know, get significant wins in the singles division as well, Um, uh, particularly against like people who are beneath him. Right. But he, he, you know, the person he comes uh, comes up short against constantly is, of course. Uh, is, is Masawa and um, you know they have a n- match on April 14th in 1996 that goes to a time limit draw another another classic match in their series of matches um, he challenges for the triple crown again but this time against Tawe, who is now the champion and he, he comes short uh, he comes up short in that match which is on June 7th 1996 as well which is I think a really good feather in the cap of Akira Tawe.
0: yeah that was his only title reign with the triple crown so that was a great run for him to finally get that moment for him. And he got a huge pop when he won, uh, too, when he won the title. I remember re- reviewing that match um, way back in the day uh, for pro Rest Spirit. But, like, I was watching that stuff, and I was thinking, man, this whole era, they could do no wrong. <laughs> it felt like with these four, any combination you put them together with. And Akiyama was starting to come up here, too, in the 96 era. So it's like, any combination of these guys... Uh, And of course, let's not forget the Patriot as well (laughs) sometimes, but whatever combination you want to go in with these guys, they would have an incredible match. And for Taui to get that win, totally deserved. He's a guy that gets a negative reputation sometimes because he wasn't as good as the other three, but no, still a legend, still an all-time classic worker and well-deserved for to have that triple crown reign. And who better to put him over in the title defense than Kawada? Yeah, I mean, it's just like Kawada did for Tawei
1: what, what Masawa wouldn't do for, for Kawada for the longest time, you know? Yeah, <laughs> so, or Akiyama uh,
0: for, for the longest time
1: yeah, as well. A- Akiyama is a completely different animal that, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do a show completely on Akiyama with somebody in the future as well. But um, things continue in all Japan without much change for Kawada uh, until April 19th. 1997, as this is the date of the Triple Crown, uh, the Champion Carnival uh, Finals, that goes into, because of the way the points worked out, Dylan, it goes into a three-way tie between Misawa, Kobashi, and Kawada. And the winner is to be determined by a round Robin series of matches. And I'm going to say, I, I'm not a fan of the booking of this. this, 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 yeah. of, this of this, right? So round one is Misawa versus Kobashi, which goes to a 30-minute time limit draw. So right after that match, It's round two and it's Kawada and it's Kawada versus Masawa and Kawada finally defeats Masawa in a singles match, but it's a tainted win. And and I don't know anyone who doesn't think it's a tainted win because obviously, like, you know, Masawa is worn out. He went 30 minutes with fucking Kenno Kobashi. You know, that's not going to wear you out. Of course it is. And then he would defeat, he would defeat Masawa for that. And then he would go on to beat Kobashi. Uh... And and he and when this is his second carnival win for for Kawada, but it's it's kind of tainted. Like I really still try to wrap my brain around why Baba would would book it this way.
0: Well, this again, this is something I, that really resonated with me. I always say this. I've had some successes in my life, and I always like to say I only succeed in the most ass way possible. <laughs> like, and it this is exactly what it felt like. And I believe that a big reason behind this, and this is a very important part of Kawada's career we're about to talk about here, um, he had super heat from Baba at this time because in 96, he publicly criticized Baba and All Japan for not having more interpromotional wrestling because his basis of this opinion was that New Japan and UWFI were having a record-setting business working together so that All Japan should do the same thing. Baba didn't feel the same way, <laughs> as it turns out, Uh, you know, and it's, uh, you know, he had his run, I mean, they couldn't just completely just trash him or bury him or anything, but he was never at that level, and I think that this win over Misawa was such a blow, because this totally overwrote whatever good you could have gotten from that june 3rd 94 match to have misawa finally lose to kawada it's like he does it in this terrible way with the switcheroo kind of finish here i just thought it was such a misstep like one of baba's worst decisions in my opinion was uh, this whole deal and I, I i really think it was due to political reasons for kawada who was he's an outspoken guy you know he's a straight shooter i think a lot of people would describe him as uh for better sometimes worse <laughs> like so he'll say stuff that maybe not everyone loves you know and um Dr. Death had a shoot interview one time where he talked about Kawada, and he was like, yeah, I loved everybody, but I hated Kawada's guts, and he hated me, <laughs> pretty much. Uh, and it's like, he was a real straight shooter, so he had a little bit of an issue uh, there, and I think that's what led to all of that, because it was a huge just disservice to that entire, like, a, literally, a seven-year storyline that they had, just totally blown, in my opinion. Uh, but I, thankfully, they still had the Triple Crown win to bench him, because like that win, he, he finally beat Kobashi but again he never was able to defend the title uh, like just like the first time so it was it was tough man <laughs> for Kawada at that time
1: yeah I mean it 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 just boggles the mind because like you know you you got to give Baba credit for being one of the smartest you know bookers in the history of wrestling but this is just baffling and it's sad it's sad that it it's because like you know he you know like I I, I can understand it because it's wrestling because it's japanese wrestling and so like you know baba was very much like i'm the boss you don't question the boss like you know don't don't go against me publicly like i think it would have been one thing if he if he went to him privately and said like i really think we should do like something with fmw or or with uwfi or whoever right at the time that he you know maybe baba wouldn't have like taken out on him but he said this stuff publicly so there you go, but it's not you know like Kawada you know finally does it. He beats Misawa, um for the triple crown title. It's May first, nineteen ninety eight. It's in front of fifty eight thousand fans, or so they say, Dylan. I don't know if it's actually fifty eight thousand <laughs> fans. It could be thirty eight thousand fans for all we know in reality. But it's at the Tokyo Dome, and it's it's a great match. It's a twenty eight minute match, and it's 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 one of my favorite matches of their of the rivalry. It's not. Because he finally beats Misawa, right? That's the main reason. It's a great match in of itself, but it's it's that reason alone that 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 pushes it to a higher level for me. But it's not as good as, you know, the the match you know, the June match that I talked about before. I think that's a, it's a much more you know, you know closer to my heart when I when I fir- when I first saw it long maybe twenty five years twenty twenty years ago or something like that. But it's 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 a great moment for him, and I think it's a great. It's a great kind of like, you know, stamp of approval that he got to do it at probably the, the biggest audience that all Japan had had up to that point.
0: Yeah. And like to kind of just to tie off what we were saying about the draw and the carnival of 97, because we, we kind of jumped ahead a little bit there. Um, basically, he lost to Misawa a month later. Uh, and it's like, that was kind of like, okay, you got that five minute win, but then Misawa just put you in your place <laughs> a month later uh, to the fans. And at that time, Kawada was really struggling with all of this because he had super heat. Uh, his storyline had been messed up, and in his book, he talked about how he went to his old high school where he he and Misawa went. He climbed to the roof and was thinking about jumping off and committing suicide. Uh, in his book, he talks about those struggles that he had, but then uh, obviously he turned it around and, and you know a, was able to persevere for the next year. It took him a year, but he finally got this big moment uh, in that in the Tokyo Dome in the rare case of an All Japan in the Tokyo Dome. They had this match against, uh, some people say 58,000, some people say less. <laughs> Nobody knows for sure. But uh, I know that no wrestling promoter would ever lie. But uh, I actually completely agree with what you said. As a match, it's not as good as like the 94 match or some of their other singles matches. But what made it so great was the real-life implications of him finally winning it. It's like, at their whole lives, they wanted to be pro wrestlers, most of these guys. They wrestled at the same high school together. Misawa was always getting more from All Japan itself. From the very beginning, he was Tiger Mask while Kawada toiled away in places he hated. Uh, Misawa was getting titles and being Jumbo's successor, and Kawada wasn't. The rivalry between these two went so far beyond any kind of like storyline or anything. And a true win over Misawa. Like the, the the Champion Carnival one, that was bullcrap. Everybody knew it. Uh, but like a true win would still mean everything to Kawada, especially for the title. So, of course, I think it was the perfect way to settle their match in the Tokyo Dome, the biggest match in company history. You could argue it was the biggest match in all Japan's history, uh, this title match, if you count the dome and everything. And the thing I loved about that match was that it felt real and his emotion was real. And I think that that wasn't just acting, I think it was real. Uh, because there was a real way, if you watched that match, you could tell that Kawada had not this time. Like, that kind of feel to it. Like, not this time. And especially the ending, if you want proof of what I'm saying is true. Uh, because that, that was such a real reaction. When his hands flew up in the air immediately, it was real. And at the end of it, his promo said, uh, this is the happiest moment of my life, was his his promo. And I think it was totally true uh, when he finally beat Misawa. And uh, such a great thing. And I, I, I wish it could have led to more. Uh, but, uh, you know, that wasn't to come quite yet.
1: No, I mean, as as significant as this moment was and this win was for him, uh, he would lose the triple crown one month later in his first defense against Konda Kobashi on on June twelfth. Um, I think it's very clear at this point, you know, Dylan, that uh, Konda Kobashi is the successor to Masawa. That that's yeah. like that's in Baba's eyes, it's not going to be Kawada. Uh, Kawada going to be the the perennial, you know, runner up, but it's going to it's a it's going to be Kobashi, it's gonna be Misawa, and then the torch is gonna to be passed to Kobashi. And then if you know if everything had stayed the same, if like all Japan never split into two companies, that probably Akiyama would have gotten the rub from from both Misawa and from, from Kobashi and he would have been the ne- next triple crown ace uh, leading into the two thousands. But, you know, Kawada, it's interesting because I I don't think it's I, I wouldn't have done it this way if like I, I would have made Kawada like a top guy on, on, on the same level as Misawa. And so like, so Misawa didn't always have to carry the burden of like not taking time off uh, just to spread kind of the responsibility around almost yeah. as well. But, you know, Kenne Kobashi, you know, like he's going to bear the burden of the guy who's going to be the the successor to Misawa not, not, and not Kawada.
0: Yeah, and that's pretty much exactly what happened in Noah when Kobashi had his huge title reign. But remember that he was breaking down, too, even by the time of the split. Kobashi's knees were completely shot uh, at that point. Uh, and like we kind of mentioned, like uh, out of all of them, Kawada was the one that never really broke down. Not to say that he didn't go through some pain and tough times, but he was always Kawada. And it's like these other guys were falling apart. Uh, you know, by the end of this 2000s, uh, you know, 1999-2000 run, so it's like Kawada was more healthy than these guys, even Kobashi, even though he was younger. Um, so it's really interesting how that was the case. I think that Baba saw Kawada as the foil, not necessarily the star, if that makes sense. And that's why, but he always protected him in, in the tag scene, which is important. The tag titles were valuable in All Japan, so you can't take that away. And even though he lost the title right away. Uh, to Kobashi, that sucked. Uh, they put him back with uh, Towa, and to d- continue his title reign. Because remember, he was double champion at that point. Uh, he when he won the title from Misawa, so he had that reign with the tag titles and that lasted for almost a year so they kept him in the tag scene and kept Kobashi as the you know Kobashi Misawa as the main guys and also Vader was coming back around the corner as well to be their new Gaijin star uh foreigner star so I think that that's kind of important that he kind of it felt like Baba had roles in mind for everybody and even though Kawada was so important to the fans and this title run was so amazing it's like he still had him in that tag role I felt like
1: yeah, he's kind of like the the blueprint of like like someone like Hiroki Goto. Yeah, I was just it, thinking that if, if like, Hiroki uh... Goto ever won the IWGP title, which he's he's never going to, but you know, like at least Kawada yeah. actually got to be the Triple Crown champion a couple of times. But you know, it, it, we're gonna jump to 1999, Dylan. We're gonna jump to the date. It's January 22nd, and you know this is Kawada Masawa again for the Triple, Triple Crown Championship, and. And if nothing else, this match is just an unbelievable testament to the sheer force of will of Toshiaki Kawada. Because about, I don't know, what, like seven minutes into this match, Kawada breaks his arm by, you know, against the back of Masao's head. So he, he, he clubbers like Masao in the back of the head, but he shatters his own, like the bone in his arm. And then he wrestles for the next, oh, I don't know, 20 minutes. With a broken arm against Misahar Masawa, and there are points in this match where you're like, "Is everything okay?" But for the for a large part of it, like I I think that it's very hard to tell that Kawada actually broke his arm because he's still doing a lot of his his spots and his moves. Like the of course the main the the main evidence of like that something is wrong is the fact that he accidentally creates this move called the genzo bomb which you know was him trying to do the the i think he was trying to get Misawa up for the folding power bomb but obviously he couldn't with a broken arm so he just has Masao like awkwardly dangling between his legs and just drops him on his head and it's like yeah oh, well there you go the genzo bomb <laughs> i i remember when i first saw this match and i saw this move i jumped out of my seat and i was like rewound that vhs tape like about five times because i thought oh my god what did I just watch there? And then I think by the third, the fourth, or the fifth time I, I rewound it, I was like, "Oh my god, did he? He didn't kill him, did he? He didn't cripple him or anything, did he?" Like that was the kind of like my next concern. But like I think it's I think it's Masao Inoue who's on the outside. His reaction to this, <laughs> to this Ganso Pump is 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 worth a, a star
0: rating in of itself. I totally remember this. Like now that you bring it up, I totally remember Misawa in on the outside, uh, So that tells you how great of a reaction it, it was. it's. It's the greatest thing Misawa Inoue has ever done in his career. Yes, absolutely. His highlight of his career here, uh, but that would made sense. Uh, I, you know, even though it was an accident, it it totally made sense. Uh, you know, Kobashi had the burning hammer. Misawa had the Tiger Driver in 91. So now Kawada has this new more devastating version of his move but because it was an accident it wasn't his finisher <laughs> like like this should have been the finish of the match for all rights and purposes but instead he kicked out that's the thing that nobody talks about is how he actually kicked out of the Gonzo Bomb and like to me the Gonzo Bomb was the most dangerous one of, of all of them and still he still kicked out of it uh, so it was just kind of crazy how that worked I an accident and uh, thankfully uh, there were no serious injuries <laughs> because of it but just crazy like you said to do this with a broken arm it, you know, it all collapsed on him to do this movie he wanted to do the regular folding power bomb, but still just an incredible performance there but obviously it led to him of course giving the title up one day later after he won it <laughs> um, so another failed title reign for Kawada there uh, hey how long before we move on to the final part of all this how long do you think before Taichi steals the Gonzo bomb? Oh, uh, I'm surprised he hasn't. I, I think once, like you know, like Naito
1: agrees to take it, which I'm sure <laughs> it'd be any any day now. Like, oh yeah, drop me on my head, it's no problem. Like maybe Naito's just saving his neck only for Ibushi. Who
0: knows? Yeah, but... Ibushi or Naito are the only ones that will take that move from ta- from Chi. And if they if they ever, if Taichi, God forbid, ever gets a title shot <laughs> against Ibushi, that will be the finish of the match. Ibushi hitting a Gonzo bomb. Or getting hit with a, a ganzo bomb somehow.
1: Yeah, I can see Vushi taking that move as well. But yeah, like you're saying, Dylan's either Naito or or Vushi's gonna be crazy enough to take a ganzo bomb from someone like fucking Taiji. <laughs> <laughs> Not that he's a bad worker. Like I, I think he's a very safe worker. But I, 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 still wouldn't let him drop me on my head like like the ganzo bomb. But um, we, let's get on to the the kind of the, the tail end of like the 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 four pillars era for Kawada here, um, you know, like Masala and company are wrapping things up, you know, eventually leaving to form Pro Wrestling Noah. But like, and so Kawada would have uh, two more singles matches in All Japan against Masala, one for the Triple Crown and one in the Champion Carnival. He would he would lose those matches, uh, you know, like and this kind of mirrors what would happen you Know back in NOAA in the Tokyo Dome in the future, but we'll get to that in a little later. Um, and here's an important date June 16th, 2000. Misawa and the most of the roster, um, you know, they have a pair conference where they announced they're leaving All Japan Pro Wrestling, um, to form Pro Wrestling NOAA. And you know, this, except for you know, a few people are going to stay. One of them is Kawada, the other one is Masanobu Fuchi, another one is Taiokaea, another one is Stan Hansen. So, this is kind of like the crux of what's the the remnants of, a, of a, a decimated All Japan, but you know it, you know by default Kawada basically becomes the new ace of the company. The role I think he he always thought he should he should have, not replacing Masawa, but in conjunction with Masawa.
0: Yeah, I mean this this split the All Japan and Noah deal has been talked about for so many times, <laughs> and there's so much to it too that. Um... You know, if we we just went through a timeline, it would be kind of crazy. But he was a huge—Kawada like was very instrumental in saving this company and keeping it alive to this day in its current form. Uh, because without him, they would have had nothing, pretty much. But through him and through Mrs. Baba, they were able to get Tenru back on board it also opened up, because this is what Kawada wanted all along, was to work with other companies, and they got to immediately start interpromoting with New Japan at the time, too. So it's like, we got to see Kawada do his thing in more of a, a star-leading role, uh, but I know that that must have been uh, so such a crazy time for everybody involved, because a, a lot of people thought that like, that was the end of the line for All Japan anyway, <laughs> that when this was happening, a lot of people thought that this could be the end of the line. You know, Bob, Mrs. Baba and Misawa had a huge grudge against each other at the time. Um, Kyohei Wada stayed as well, the referee. Uh, and Kawada's whole deal was, to summarize his whole point of view and all this, or what he said anyway, like you said, that probably ha- what you said probably had a lot to do with it as well, but um, his whole statement publicly was essentially, I want to keep Baba's All Japan alive. Uh, you know, that that was more or less his reasoning for staying publicly. And uh, yeah, so, you know, it was just a, a crazy time, but it led to the split, and it led to a new era for Kawada, in addition to All Japan, that led to so many things that wouldn't have happened if, you know, first of all, Misawa had stayed. I don't think things would have played out anywhere nearly the same as they they would have, because, like I said, they wouldn't have interpromoted with New Japan if things had stayed intact, and Tenru probably wouldn't have come back, almost certainly, at the time. But that was a, a great gain for him, too, because Kawada was able to help bring him along as well to bring him back. And that that meant a lot. That basically saved all Japan, in all honesty. Well, I mean, I mean like, I, I'm going to
1: be a bit more cynical, Dylan. I, I think Kawada stayed because like you know, there was, like, legit heat between him and Misawa.
0: There was. There, was. Um, <laughs> like, there, there and, totally
1: and, was. And he knew, like, you know, like, if he went to Noah with them, like, I'm sure he was invited. I'm going to say, like, Misawa would have been a complete idiot if he didn't try to invite and you know, try to bring over, like, Kawada as well. Like, because that would have done wonders for the business for Pro Noah to have that rivalry continue in, in a new company. And if they uh, brought him
0: back when they as soon as they could, pretty much. They they didn't bring him anyway, so of course he wanted him. And like you said, yes, the real reason is yes, that played a lot into him. I'm just saying what he said publicly. About yeah, publicly, to...
1: like yeah. I'm sure there's a kernel of truth there, but I think the real reason is like, oh, I'm gonna get fucked because it's gonna be yeah. Kobashi and Akiyama who are gonna get the rub, and I'm gonna have to put them. I'm gonna be the one putting them all over and I'm not gonna get anything for myself. But you know it, it, it for him for, for him ultimately this was a good thing because he 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 you know he he helped you know open the doors for a relationship between all Japan and New Japan that you know even even all Japan as as a roster was completely done like it was just filled with nobodies and freelancers and you know but the, the brand still had a, a value to it. Especially when that brand was like All Japan versus New Japan. And we're going to have Kawada versus the then IWGP heavyweight champion, Kensuke Sasaki. And these two would meet in the Tokyo Dome in a title match, but it didn't need a title attached to it. October 9th, 2000. One of the hottest crowds you're ever going to see in the Tokyo Dome is is is, attend, is attending this match. And it's an awesome, awesome war of attrition between Sasaki. And Kawada, it would be like it's really interesting to watch this match, and then think about later as like as Sasaki becomes a freelancer and he makes his way into All Japan, and then they rekindle the rivalry as with Sasaki, kind of as a as more of a permanent member of the All Japan roster. But this is a this is a great first meeting between these two,
0: incredibly good and also incredibly important. Uh, again, I think also a big part of it too is is kind of what I alluded to. Like the first couple of years of post-Split All Japan was really Kawada got to have his way in a lot of ways because this is something he had called on for almost five years to work into promotional feuds and now he's getting to do it with a, a great opponent for him in Kensuke Sasaki you got to have his mentor Tenru come back uh, and he could do his thing how he wanted and remember at that time too there was a lot of like Onita tried to get back into All Japan and Kawada basically shut that down immediately He was like I don't want him here <laughs> and you know if it wasn't up to him you know, if if Baba was still alive and he wanted him, he would have been brought back. But Kawada got to do things his way, uh, being the top star. Like, in Noah, if Misawa wanted something, Kawada wouldn't have had a say in it. So, in all Japan, he got to do his own thing, and I think that really led to a lot of great things and a revitalization of Kawada in terms of his wrestling as well because he was very energized and he wanted to be an appropriate ace for the first time in his career and get this great run, this great popular feud with New Japan, and it really worked out for all Japan and again helped keep that whole company alive. That match is very important as well in addition to Tenru coming back. Uh that little rivalry with Sasaki was very important. Yeah, I mean
1: like we should talk about Tenru so like like you're saying he he comes back. Um Kawada and Miss Baba both, you know, like make the decision to bring Tenru back. Like well, Giant Baba was alive, that was never going to happen because he he fucking hated Tenru for leaving him in the first place to start up his competition. Um but, you know, and What's interesting with th- with that is that you know it's Tenru who wins the triple crown because Kobashi has to vacate it because he's he's left the company. So October twenty eighth two thousand, you know, um, you know twenty days after basically this match that Kawada has against Sasaki, like there's the tr- triple crown tournament finals. It's Kawada versus his mentor, Jinichiro Tenru, um, and Tenru goes over Kawada and has I think one of the really super underrated run with that with that title like. You know, Tenru's you know run with the with the triple crown in two in two thousand is is pretty fucking great in my opinion, and you know part of it is like his his you know this like kind of budding rivalry that he's creating with Kawada in the two thousand All Japan.
0: Tenru in All Japan was awesome, like great great worker. Showed himself as one of the greatest of all time in a, yet another decade. <laughs> he had done it in the eighties. He had done it a bit in the nineties. And then he did it again in the 2000s with All Japan. I couldn't speak more highly of Tenru as a worker, but Kawada was doing a lot of interesting things at the time between All Japan and New Japan. He got to do some really cool things, and I think that really helped him out as well. I really appreciated some of his run. Remember, he was in the tournament final. Uh, you know, he did have a match with Sasaki at one point for the title in the Tokyo Dome actually that year because they had the tournament going on and he beat Tenzan. Earlier in the night and faced Sasaki in the final, so you had the title match too with Sasaki later on after their big match. Uh, like you said, you had Tenru facing Kawada for the Triple Crown tournament final. There were a lot of tournaments for titles apparently <laughs> like during during this whole run, if you noticed. But uh, Kawada seemed to always make the finals and lose, so that that fit his character too because he was at this point everyone kind of knew him as the cursed champion, quote unquote. You know he was now you know always number two. Uh, he'd never really gotten over that hump even though he was now the ace of all Japan. But they were building to that, uh, thankfully. Uh, but that's well, yeah, so great part.
1: Yeah, I mean, like the, the whole point, I think, of Tenru being the Triple Crown champion was to free up Kawada. Like, it's not like he could he'd be going up against, you know, any yeah. of these New Japan guys as a Triple Crown champion. And and yeah, exactly. he, even in a tag match, like for his team to lose the fall with him being the Triple Crown champion, it's like, uh, that's not really going to work politically. So, I mean, having Tenru as the a, as a TC champion, while you know Kawada's making all this money, going to like going to fight against New Japan guys is like it's a win win to me. Like, and we got to talk about his tag team with Masanobu Fuchi, right? Because Masanobu Fuchi yeah. is one of the guys who doesn't go to Noah, and him and Kawada formed this tag team. And at this point, like, I'm not. You know, when I'm starting to watch this stuff, like I'm not super familiar with Fuchi. I just know not as, oh, is he me in the opening matches. Isn't he a comedy dude? But my God, no, Fuchi is still a great worker. And if you want to see an example of like how great Fuchi is in this this era in 2000, watch the match him and Kawada have against Yuji uh, Nagata and uh, Takashi Zuka. Like that is one of the greatest tag matches I've ever seen, and it's probably it's it's a it's a great example of like you know what. This guy might be a little bit older, but he's still got a lot of fighting in
0: him. W.H., did you steal my notes before this? (laughs) Because I was going to say that same thing. I was going to bring up that exact match Uh, there. I love that match. That was one of the best matches of the decade for New Japan, in my opinion. And in no small part, unsurprisingly, due to Kawada. But like you said, Fuchi steps up again. Whenever Fuchi got a spotlight, he always did awesome. Uh, During this era and in the 90s, it's just like I said, the juniors kind of went way down. The second half of the decade, after Jumbo uh, got ill and stuff, they kind of had less importance in the multi-man rivalries. But, man, Fuchi was a great worker, great heel, too. He was the perfect guy to invade New Japan and be a dick to these guys. Even guys like uh, Nagata, who was a main eventer, and Izuka, who was a really good mid-card worker at the time. Uh, He wasn't a main eventer, but he did some great things. At the time, he was really well-noted in the Hashimoto and Ogawa rivalry as Hashimoto's second. Uh, So he did some good things. But to see these four, they just had a great, great match. Unbelievable tag team match.
1: Yeah, I mean, from from here, like I'd say, like 2000 and 2002, there, it's like kind of uneventful uh, years for Kawada. But on September 6, 2003, he, he wins Triple Crown for the fifth time in, an, in a tournament final against uh, Shinjiro Otani, his... His rival, in terms of like who has the best facial expressions in wrestling, but uh, that's a great match. I i loved that match when I saw it, and and I i urge people to go look for it. I'm sure it's out there. Um, but uh, yeah, he he starts the the this is the beginning of his, I guess, his quote unquote his ace reign. He has 10 successful title defenses, uh, that has. It's been matched, but I don't think it's been broken. Kento Mihara is not broken, this, this title defense yet. But he has, you know, you know he has 10 t- successful title defenses against the likes of uh, Jinichi Tenryu, Shinya Hashimoto, uh, Jamal, a.k.a. Umaga, Taiokeya, Kensuke Sasaki, and Hiroyoshi Tenzon, among other people. It's, 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 it's something that I think he deserves to have. And it's, it's something like, I, I kind of hope they never break his record.
0: Yeah, you know, I think we're, we we got to talk about something that before that. It was uneventful for him in the ring, but there was something very eventful that happened in All Japan, and that was Muto coming in and taking over, um, and along with Satoshi Kojima and Kendo Kashin. Uh, they all jumped over from All Japan, and basically Muto's idea of wrestling is very influenced by American-style wrestling. Obviously, he was very famous in America, too, but it wasn't Baba's All Japan. Pretty much, it wasn't even Kawada's vision. Uh, so this is kind of an interesting thing. I don't think a lot of people know this part because everyone knows Muto took over from Mrs. Baba eventually, but actually the week before that happened, Kawada met with Baba and tried to take it over. Like him and Fuchi, they basically pleaded to get rid of Muto and the New Japan guys, and like they they were ruining the company and his world, and he wanted to, to do his own thing. And that, how different would All Japan have looked? if Kawada was the one that had gotten power instead of Muto at that time?
1: Uh, I mean, I don't think it would have survived. I'm, I'm sorry. Like, I, I, I have some issues with, like, some of the ideas Muto would bring into all Japan, definitely. But, like, I think he saved that company, to be honest with you. Like, you know, from a, from a you know, from a, you know, sub- objective point of view, I think he saved, business-wise, he saved that company. Kojima becoming the, the new ace of the company... Uh, was did wonders for 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 all Japan? Yeah, I mean like there's a lot of stupid things that Mudo does but like I, I think overall like like what what ideas did Kawada have like and what influence did Kawada have to bring in like, you know, fresh people who can draw money in, in all Japan? Like, I don't think he had that kind of cachet in, in him like that that Mudo had. So and, like, the thing is, is, like, we have to forget, we don't, we have to remember, he also brought in Kazayashi, who really basically saved yeah. the junior division of All Japan, and made it on par with what was going on in, in New Japan, and in Pro Wrestling Noah, as far as the juniors go, like, that's because, like, Mudo wanted, like, a good junior division, he, and he brought in, like, Kendo Kashin did nothing for that, but it was Kazayashi <laughs> who basically fucking saved that title, and, and that division, and, and led it to, like, its, its, its heights, basically.
0: At least they wouldn't have had to lose the title that Kashin stole when he, left, when he left All Japan and, and took with him. They would have kept that title, at least, if, if Kawada had gotten rid of all those guys. I think if he had gotten rid of Kojima, I agree with you, but I think Muto was a really bad booker, actually, for All Japan. I hated that era, like, in all honesty, uh, like, pro-res love era. The stuff with Ape Man, it's like, I thought that that all sucked. It, like, Taichi was a terrible <laughs> young lion, I I, I thought. I no no offense to him, but he, he was really bad back then. And they were they had some guys. Uh the rumor is Kawada, his big idea was he I mean, this is really isn't that surprising considering his personality. Uh his big idea was to bring in like Kyoshi Tamara and guys that had been left behind by rings and move them into all Japan and you know, do that sort of thing. And I don't know how that would have worked. They were popular in that era, but with MMA coming in, I don't know how well that would have taken, to, especially to the All Japan fans. I think that would have been a, a radical change uh, if that had happened. But it would have been radically different for sure, no matter what his plans were, because Muto was so outside the box thinking. Uh, I think that. There was a lot of good, but the main thing is Kojima coming over was a huge thing because that allowed them to have a future ace that if he had left, no matter who Kawada had brought in, it wouldn't have been as good as Kojima, (laughs) you know, unless he convinced somehow like Nagata to jump and and said somehow or something like something crazy. Kojima being there was so important even more than Muto, in my opinion, because I really think Muto wasn't a good booker. Uh, But like you said, they did bring in some guys, and you have to give them his due, but they also had some bad ideas, like bringing in Goldberg that cost a ton of money uh, at the time, and there was a lot that was questionable on that end. But Kawada was there, he did his thing, and I think it's very interesting to note that, because... He was the guy that had pushed for inter-promotional, interpromotional stuff for all those years, and then it's like, as soon as Muto came in with his stupid ideas, he was like, no, I changed my mind, Baba was right. <laughs> like, you know, pretty much. I mean, I don't know if he actually said that, but I, that's, that's kind of how it comes across. That's kind of ironic that he wanted to get rid of those guys when it actually came to his doorstep.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I do think he had a fondness for Kojima. He puts him over on February 16th, 2005. Kojima's is the one who ends his legendary triple crown reign and, and becomes basically essentially the, the ace of the company because, at the yeah. you know, like at the end of that match, like I watched it recently, you know, he's, you know, Kawada's like, you know, putting him over, like, you know, putting the belts on him and, and everything. And it's like, it's obvious that like he's, like he's he's had his run with these titles, and like he's satisfied. Um, and also, this is kind of like his his like you know departure from the company as a full timer. He he signs a contract with Dream Stage Entertainment, the the parent company of Pride Fighting Championships at the time, and and he joins hustle and i'll be honest with you dylan like this this era of kawada's career is basically a blind spot for me because i fucking hate hustle and (laughs) i make no i make no apologies for that it's not for me i know a lot of people who who i respect like it that's fine i understand why it's not for me and i i never really got into this i mean this is like the era of like kawada doing gimmicky shit and and doing karaoke and yeah surprisingly like it's I'm glad I found out that he's actually got a very lovely voice in in terms of singing and stuff like that. But I have no interest in ever
0: watching any of this stuff. So we're going to kind of just skip over this, and we're going to go to— Let me just say one thing on that. Um, A lot of people don't know that the guy from Dreamstage and Pride, he was at—after the split with Noah and Alderman, he was at those shows. Like, he had already had his eye on Kawada all the way back to 2000. Uh, So, and when Kawada did that, he said that he had, and I don't know if this is true or not, but he came out in an interview and said that he was a freelancer for All Japan. He never had a signed contract uh, for those years. Uh, So I thought that was very interesting. Uh, When I was reading about that, that uh, he had not signed a contract uh, for All Japan through those years. But it really made sense. Like That title reign was amazing to see him finally get it and shake off that reputation as the secondary guy. And he was so important to put over Kojima and made him a great star in his own right. And Kawana deserves a lot of credit for that. Kojima had it right away. When he went to All Japan, he felt like a top star. And he, obviously, we love his work. I think everybody is really impressed by him. But he was elevated to such great heights due to Kawada and that booking. So as much as I don't like Muto, I have to give him credit. Because a lot of people thought when that happened, they thought that Kawada was going to be on the hot seat. Like, he was going to be the one to go. But actually, that story, if that's true about him not having a contract, makes a lot of sense. Why Muto would book him so well so he wouldn't leave and jump. Uh, I think that actually makes a lot of sense when you think about it. But um Hustle, the only thing I'll say about that is... um He's a great singer, (laughs) I will say that. Um, His gimmick in Hustle was kind of like a Bruce Lee wannabe. (laughs) Like, I don't know how they came to this attire. I guess the only thing I can imagine is Takata was like, oh, black and yellow. I know someone else who's known for those colors. And they just put him in, gave Kawada that gimmick for some reason. Uh, But yeah, it was just... a. Castle was a crazy, crazy promotion uh, when you think about it. Uh, he had matches against Razor Ramon, Hard Gay, <laughs> in there, uh, Yinling, the Erotic Terrorist. It was, it was quite. I had a huge crush on Lin- Yinling when I was uh, like first getting into. Uh, Japanese wrestling. I was like, what is this company, Hustle? But I did have a crush on her. But when I watched the whole show, I was just thinking, like, this company's insane. <laughs> How did Kawana end up here? But uh, I think it actually worked twofold for him, even though we're going to move forward a little bit. Uh, because he did have the matches in the outside promotions every now and then, like New Japan and NOAH. But mostly it allowed him to protect his body to where he didn't have to because in hustle he's not having all japan classics (laughs) like let's just be honest uh and it let him make a lot of money (laughs) most importantly by dream stage so but for it was really a win-win for kawada because if you're a fan like you said i think a lot of people that are fans of his and want to see him against misawa and noah or he was in the g1 that year if you're a fan of his you don't care what's going on in Hustle with Kawada. You just don't have to watch that crap at the end of the day. But I do think that there is a certain appeal to see this guy, this specific person, Kawada, in Hustle. I do think that there is a crazy, ridiculous appeal at seeing him. And his, 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 his gimmick to his side gimmick was that he always beat up Tai Chi. That was literally his gimmick, no matter what. That's he did. a good
1: part. That was a good part of his run in, uh, in, in Hustle. Right, yes, so. that,
0: that, yes, that was literally his entire gimmick. Every show he would beat up Tai Chi in either a video package or at the show itself. There was a crazy show on Christmas that year, I think 2005, when Tai Chi was trying to. And Tai Chi at this time, too, if you know him now, he looks so much different back then. He had all black hair, short black hair, and a mustache. <laughs> like, and he looked ridiculous. And he cut this promo where he was like, I'm sick today. I don't want to fight. And Kawada was like, get your ass in the ring. And Tai Chi was like, okay. And then he just killed him with a power bomb. It was so entertaining. Uh, WH, watch that match. Tai Chi versus Kawada. Uh, I promise you, you will love it. It was like right. a t- complete squash, and you can see Tai Chi getting obliterated.
1: It'll be my only uh, Kawada hustle hustle match that I'll watch. I'll watch it right after we we finish this. Um I do want to kind of just like kind of run through his his post all japan career here really quickly as we're yeah we're, we're kind of like running along on the on, on the show time here but uh, just kind of go through the highlights july 18th 2005 uh, at the tokyo dome kawada wrestles one final match against mr masawa on on noah's big uh, tokyo dome show uh for uh, that year and masawa goes over and and yeah i mean there's there's a lot you can talk about i suppose like i i don't think there's know it's another match and like Misawa booked it so like of course he was he was gonna go over um he you know kawada defeats shinsuke nakamura at Uh, joint
0: one thing one thing i will say one thing about the misawa match which is very important that was his only match at Noah until after misawa died because he cut a promo afterwards that he wasn't supposed to uh because they had a uh prime time slot and that's very very rare in japan for wrestling and he went overtime, kind of. And like everybody thought at the time, if you go back and look at some of the stuff on him, that he shot at Misawa. It was like, you know, fuck you, or, or, or something like that. But actually, he just said, hey, I hope we can have another match again. And I really respect you, blah, blah, blah. Typical wrestling promo. But he went long, and Misawa got super pissed and promised that he would never wrestle at Noah again. Although, obviously, that didn't happen after he died. But uh, that was kind of an interesting thing. It's like they finally got to have this match, and then they, immediately they're heated again. It's like they're pissed off at each other again
1: yeah i mean it's kind of like difficult i suppose between those two guys um so yeah he he defeats shinsuke nakamura at the all japan new japan uh joint wrestle kingdom super show on january 4th 2007. um he goes uh to the 2000 and final champion carnival finals uh, against uh Keijimura, which in a match which he loses uh he pins Keijimura in what would be his final all Japan match on April 9th, 2008 in, uh, in that year's uh, champion carnival tournament match uh, for Mary. He just works everywhere. Dylan, he works for hustle zero one new Japan. Uh, he works in the 2008 G1 climax. Uh, he works in, in Noah, like after Masawa's death, like he's brought into being the global league and, and try to, you know, do some stuff with like the, the younger guys in, in, who would have been like kind of like the the young boys in all in the all Japan Dojo when he was when they were all still in All Japan together um and then he on August 15th he participated in basically the last recorded in-ring match that he has it, it's 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 the last card of the G1 climax of that year uh he teams with Tenru and Tiger Mask and he they take on the team of Riki Choshu, Junji Hirata and Akira Nagami uh, a match that uh, Kawada's team wins and you know he hasn't wrestled since from there he he's opened a small ramen shop called men jarosuke in the setagaya area of the tokyo prefecture i was almost going to go there with 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 john pollock uh, uh, a year ago dylan but the thing was it's like it was really far from where our hotel was <laughs> and and we were not confident that we would have had a good meal there so it gets mixed reviews, this restaurant. So we were like, Yeah, we'll just stay in Tokyo. We're gonna go to sudabashi because we know and Jojo Remy and his wife Christine took us to a really excellent restaurant. We we got some really great ramen. So I can't really complain too much about it. But that that's that's my wrap-up of, of Toshaki Kawada. Before we get to you, Dylan, I'm gonna let you have the last word. I just wanted to talk about the his championship accomplishments. He's won the triple crown five times. He's been the World Tag Team champion uh, nine different times with different partners. He's won the Real World Tag League three times. He's won the Champion Carnival uh, twice. And he has been the 0-1 heavyweight champion. I think it's the AWA world
0: title belt that they were using at this time. (laughs) He's been that champion one time. And that was the tail end of his career. That was in 2010. And if you go back and watch that match, he had matches against, like, Daisuke Sakamoto. And he was still good. He wasn't the Kawada of like the '90s or anything. Nobody would even admit that. But compared to Kobashi, Misawa, and Tawei, he was way closer to himself than those guys were at the end. So I always think that's kind of amazing. And maybe that hustle run had something to do with it. He was able to save himself uh, a little bit more because he was a, in a lot better health by the end and doing good things with a ramen restaurant now. Uh, but you are not a fan. You've heard negative things. You've heard mixed reviews. I can't. I, I wish on. I could have
1: gone like just myself at some point. You know, but like I wasn't like, you know, it was like it was like one of John, it was like John's last night in Tokyo. And I don't want to have yeah. really guaranteed good, you know, ramen experience. So we went to a place that we knew was going to
0: be really, really good. Uh, yeah, I I understand. Shout out to John Pollock there. You have to take care of him in Japan. So I appreciate that. Um One thing I will say before I get to my final spiel here. How do you feel? The one thing we could say about his post career, like 2005 on. How does it make you feel that under Inoki's watch in the G1, Kendo Kashin got a singles win over Kawada? I,
1: like people would say to me, Enokiism was actually good. Fuck off. It's it's it was never good. This is one ex- one minor example. <laughs> okay, like Kendo Kashin has a singles win over Kohei Kawada. Go fuck yourself if you think that that's a good idea.
0: <laughs> it was a weird era in <laughs> 2005 for sure, but Kawada played his part. And I mean, to me, as I said, I really appreciate his overall character arc in terms of never being the ace himself and arguably being as deserving or even more deserving, if you if you want to say, than the guy who was in his, you know who he, he was in a shadow of in Misawa. I think that's such a very relatable storyline, because I think everybody feels like there's been a time here or there, maybe often, maybe not. But everybody, I think, has a time where it's like, They feel like they deserve something and somebody else got it. Or, you know, somebody else stepped in front of them that they didn't deserve it. I felt those feelings many times. I felt those feelings of coming short many times. But it made his eventual wins that much better. Like, his title win that he had over Misawa is a legendary moment, in my opinion, even though the match wasn't as great as some of his other ones. That stands out to me just as much because of that. His long title reign means so much more because of all the failed title reigns he had before. It's like, without the bitter, the sweet isn't as sweet. And Kawada was just so amazing as a worker. I couldn't put him over any more than we already have. But, uh, you know, every now and again he'll show up to shows like for All Japan or he's on a talk battle. He did one with Tenru, and Tenru was like, hey, are you going to come back for a match? And Kawada was like, probably not. But if I did, I'd like to wrestle you and when Tenru retired obviously and then he had one with marufuji i think that was on his own he had like this one produce show that he had the holy war show kind of like the a fortune dream but for him and on it i think him and Fuji had a talk battle and i always remember that it was very funny to me because marufuji was like you know we don't even know each other that well like we really didn't cross paths that much but here i am on your show like, like, i, I like, mean Hi. like
1: yeah marufuji was <laughs> you know like seconded to to masala and like you know, Misawa yeah. kind of kept his dudes away from Kawada, it sounds like, based on that talk battle. But um,
0: yeah. yeah, Kawada yeah. had Misawa in a way. Yeah,
1: well, you can't always, yeah. Anyways, I don't want to talk about Misawa in a way.
0: Yeah, but the thing is, Kawada and the show, like that, they are so interconnected. Even then, he taught, they asked him about it, he was like, his passion for wrestling really went down after Misawa died, which I think is interesting because of their amazing like love and a lot of times hate rivalry, you know, like their grudge against each other and their real life rivalry. But in the end, it's like he still loved and respected Misawa in his own way, uh, you know. So I think that's kind of a, gr- a great point to make on their whole feud and rivalry is that at the end, that still took a toll out of him. But uh, yeah, every time he comes back, everyone asks him if he'll come back to wrestle again. But he's like 57 now. Uh, I don't know if that's gonna happen uh, <laughs> again. To be honest, it seems like he's happy running the, the restaurant, uh, you know. So. Good for him to get out of wrestling without being broken down. He's not in a wheelchair. He's not, uh, you know, in terrible shape or even dead like Misawa. Like he is in relatively good health despite everything he went through. So I think that's a hell of a successful career, all in all. You know, you say what you want about the titles or Misawa being over him, but at the end of the day, he had a crazy successful career on his own and is a legend in his own right, right up there with every one of the four pillars.
1: Definitely. I mean, I I can't say. Anything different from what you, or add to what you just said, there, Dylan. I will. I will say, like, I think he has a. You, know, you made this point as well. Like, he has a very underrated end of his career, like working, like you know, with the zero one heavyweight title. Um, and like, if you look at his career in its entirety, like, it's an amazing career, and there's so many great matches that that he has been part of that he's helped produce. And and it's just one of those people that like I I always you know, gravitated towards Kawada more than I did to Masawa and, and, you know, 20 years, 25 years later, it's, it still holds true for me. And yeah, like, that's it. Like go out. There's tons of Kawada stuff out there. If you want to watch, I mean, I I could give you like, uh, you know, and if we had another hour, I could give you match match recommendations, you know, but I
0: think go, we could go for 20 hours. Literally. I, I think like, if we went through all of his great matches, we could have like a full day's worth, like that show they did the 24 hour show. I think we could do that just on four pillars matches if, if we had You're that just much for
1: Basically yeah, just as for well. Kawada, really. Yeah, Basically. yeah. So, um, yeah. So I wanna I wanna thank you, Dylan. Thank you so much for joining me on this uh, this really great retrospective on on Toshiaki Kawada. I think we 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 did a great job, and thank you so much for for you know just adding so much details to like from his book and stuff like that. And I think uh, hopefully the the listeners got a lot out of this. Like, if you knew himself some stuff about Kawada, you, you learned something. I'm I'm really happy if that's if that happened. If you never heard of Kawada, you just listening to this, out of the blue i hope you you go out search Toshaki kawada's like matches that are out there in the in the internet on the ether as it were and uh hope you gain an appreciation that that matches maybe mine and and dylan's uh for for dangerous k
0: absolutely hopefully everybody enjoyed it and hopefully everybody learned a little bit and You've got a ton of great matches to watch now. If you haven't seen them before, please check them out. And if you know them already, you already know I'm telling the truth. There were no lies told uh, on this show about how great he is and how amazing he was. So hopefully everybody out there enjoyed it. And thank you so much for having me on WH. I absolutely love doing this show about one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. And just anytime we get to sit down, it's a lot of fun. So uh, I'm so thankful that I was on the show. I I was on the retrospective on Liger and his match without Samurai. And now I'm back with this. Uh, Whatever you do later on, I cannot wait to be on more projects and back and forth, you know, because I I love hanging out with you and talking with you. And thank you to everyone listening. We really appreciate all the support uh, post pro res and also my show, the Eastern Lariat. If you want to watch that or listen to that, you can. We have a Patreon. Check that out as well uh there's lots of cool stuff on there every week we're pretty much we're doing shows about japanese wrestling uh but i love going back in time and talking about these shows and these matches from the 90s they mean so much to me personally and i know they really do to you too wh so i'm so happy i'm so happy that we could spread this love to everybody out there
1: yeah definitely like i guy, you know i want you to i want people to go out and check the 90s project that that dylan does uh, he's recounts every year of the 90s like every promotion america mexico japan uh he covers it all in in looking at the best matches from each year and he does a great like final show with uh your partner uh fredo spreza right from lucha talk uh i always enjoy those shows as well when you recap like the the top 10 matches of each year so check definitely check that out over at the eastern later patreon i'm i'm a member of that and I, i'm supporter of, of Dylan and the work he's doing with, with Striga over at the Eastern Lariat. Um, on, on behalf of Dylan, I want to say thank you to all the listeners and thank you to all the people who've been supporting and very uh, complimentary about the Long and Windy Royal Road. Um, and we'll be back in a, mo- a month later with uh, with a match review. And uh, I don't know who's going to be on that. I don't know what match we're going to talk about, but there you go. But in the future, episode 12 will be uh, our look back at one Kenta so keep an eye out that in in, in a future episode of the long and whiny road road and until then i will say goodbye